Welcome to Game Face, episode 219 on Sifted Games at Sifted.net. I'm Shane Satterfield, the host of the show. You can find me on Twitter at Dinfire. I got two friends along with me for this episode. We got Matt Kyle waiting at home. What's going on, brother? Yeah, not much. Been uh, waiting for that announcement of the new Spiders game this morning. Yeah. Has that happened actually yet? Yeah. Oh, it did. Oh, I missed it. Well, it was like all done through like central europe time so it was hard to uh, calculate but um yeah so it looks like a uh, it's called uh, steel rise as opposed to greed fall and uh <laughs> interesting it seems, seems to be a clock punk take on the french revolution wait what's clock punk matt uh you lost know, me there you know steampunk yeah so it was a steam power technology punk Basically, this is interesting. <laughs> so, clock, so clock punk is clockwork, like oh, steampunk, okay. but clockwork. So there's a lot uh, of like okay, there's a lot of like automatons and stuff, and and uh, like the like it's, it's, the trailer is just all cinematic CG is kind of like panning across like CG models like in like kind of a lame is like revolutionary pose, but like yep. a bunch of them are like clockwork androids kind of huh. thing, which should do wonders for solving their lip sync problem. But, um, <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. Maybe that's why they're reverse engineering <laughs> the game. <laughs> but uh, is it, you know, obviously there's not, I mean, we won't talk about it today because there's nothing yeah. to talk about. It's just a teaser cinematic like, like concept art trailer, really. But uh-huh. I like everything those guys have done. I think spiders, even when they're really unpolished and janky, they're, they're interesting. They're the slowest emerging studio I've ever seen. Yeah, well, they're, also, like, they're making the best Bioware games of the past generation. So. Every game just gets a little bit better, just a little, little bit, bit. Little bit. Yeah. Little bit. They better hope Dragon Age Four isn't really great because then they're going to be set back. They're finally going to they're finally going to catch up to like Dragon Age Inquisition production <laughs> and value, and they're like, oh no, well, we got to do it again. Uh, we also have Mitch Sikorsky, who's handling the tricasting duties today. What's going on, Mitch? How's your week been? Uh, crazy, and it just yeah, with everything going on, it gets crazier every minute, every day. I swear, I like. I think that's the problem. Stop. Is if anything bad happens, it's just way worse because there's all these other elements that you're having to deal with at the same time. It's just like a big snowball rolling downhill. Sometimes, yeah, it's ten- put the brakes on it. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, try to. It's tenfold, and then on top of that, like I'm still trying to find employment and that itself has just been a nightmare trying to figure out. So it's crazy. It's really, well, there's so many people looking for jobs right now and there aren't a ton of jobs. So, you know, the competition is definitely going to be fierce. Having a college degree right now would probably be a huge help is my guess. Good thing I got Um, that. (laughs) Exactly. It should be a huge help for you. So anyway, this is game face. This is our weekly podcast. We're here every Tuesday at 1 PM Pacific, 4 PM Eastern here on Twitch tv slash sifted games uh before we get on with the show proper we got to talk about our poll of the week from last week i'm not bringing up a graphic this time because it wasn't really an an interest-based poll it was more of a business-based poll for us we just asked you guys what color combinations you guys wanted for our new shirts and uh Basically, without having to go through all the numbers, you guys want black shirts. <laughs> That's right. The two off, the two options that were black shirts with whatever color print, they won far and away. And then white shirts with green print was like the runner up. So anyway, thanks for taking the time to do that. It could potentially save us a lot of money, making sure that we make shirts that you guys want and that you're going to purchase. Um, we do have a new poll of the week up for this week. It's live on Sifted right now. It's up in the header and we're asking you about something that we're going to discuss in today's show. We're, we're asking you about gamer toxicity. 
Uh, it's been a big issue over the last week, and we're going to discuss it a little later in the show, but that's our poll of the week, and we will actually discuss that one um, when we come back for the show next Tuesday. So anyway, it's time for Game Face, but before we do, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor. Ready to get away from it all without losing all the comforts of home? DeShazer Ryan Realty has a once-in-a-lifetime 200-acre estate for sale in Libby, Montana that gives new meaning to the phrase roughing it. This eye-popping main lake house on this sprawling estate has four bedrooms and bathrooms, phone, and internet. There are also separate guest and caretaker houses. It's the first time this property has ever been for sale, so don't let the chance to buy a slice of outdoor heaven pass by. It can be yours for $3.4 million. If you're interested, no matter where you live, contact Doug DeShazer at 406-291-1643 or DeShazerMT at gmail.com. He can also connect you with local realtors who can help you with your specific needs. If you want to see more, head on over to www.snowshoeranchmt.com. That's snowshoeranchmt.com. Man, for all the social distancing we need to do, that's the perfect place to do it at, right? <laughs> Dude, that house is insane. Insane. What you don't even see in that footage is that there's a there are two other houses besides that big main house, all on like a private lake. It's crazy. Um, I do want to say Doug DeShazer is an amazing dude. He is a really good guy. Uh, I've got to know him pretty well here on Sifted over the last few years, and he is just a really solid dude. So uh, when you go to do business, if you're one of those people who likes to do business with good people and help out other good people, hook up Doug. He's good people, and he'll take care of you. Can, he can also help you no matter where you're located. So if you're looking for property anywhere, he can refer you to a realtor there. So anyway, big thanks to DeShazer Around Realty for our sponsorship. We really appreciate it. And with that, it's time to get to Game Face 219. We're going to kick things off with... What inadvertently became the biggest story of the week, and that is a gigantic leak for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, Ubisoft strikes again. It's uncanny how often this publisher stuff gets leaked out early. It's just, especially Assassin's Creed, just time after time after time. And this week, a huge 30-minute chunk of raw gameplay was leaked to YouTube. Uh, Ubisoft took it all down. We're not going to be able to show it to you today. We wouldn't really even want to show it to you because the footage is really blurry. Um, and that's something mm. I want to discuss briefly. It's like, where in the heck did that footage come from? Uh, but anyway... At least it wasn't a laptop on a plane this time. Yeah. It, I, still, I think I, if you just have... If you have hundreds and hundreds of people working on something, it's kind of inevitable. I well, think. I'm also wondering, too, if some of the fallout of what's happened at Ubisoft over the last week, if one of those ex-disgruntled employees didn't decide to leak something out. I don't know. It's possible, but, like, it's not really directly comparable to what's being discussed. So, like, I don't yeah. see why... Well, I don't see why you'd risk legal action... Some people just vin are vindictive. Also, I'd say uh, <laughs> Ubisoft had a leak where literal presentation of Mario Rabbids got leaked. And that was like an entire yeah. PowerPoint presentation. So, I mean, mm -hmm. they just have the wide gambit of leaks that I wouldn't be surprised on anything. Yeah, I mean, Ubisoft's leak problem feels like just a, a, a consequence of extreme delegation. Yeah, you know? it could be. Yeah. Because it just happens all the time. Like if this was the first time this had happened to an Assassin's Creed game, I might think more like it was related to the current uh, outings of abusers and stuff. But right now, it just feels like just business as usual. 
Yeah. Um, I do also, I do wonder where it came from. I mean, to me, that looks like, cause I did watch it. And to me, it looks like, um, like the low res footage you'd use for a rough cut of something just to like, upload it quickly or whatever yeah, to like and once you're approved you put the uh, the, the 4k footage in and do the whole, pull the full res version like that was that's what that looks like to me so my guess it, it, it came from a post house yeah some editor working on something but that you know matt i don't know though because the footage is really glitchy so maybe it was his job to cut that stuff out yeah i think it's just raw a raw clip like i don't yeah. think we were supposed to see that whole thing in its entirety yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, well, the, the thing is, is that regardless of how blurry the footage is, you can absolutely pretty much learn everything about Assassin's Creed Valhalla. If you, Especially if you've played Odyssey. Yeah. If you watched <laughs> it as I did and literally just took notes minute by minute, you'll be shocked at how much information was in that 30 minutes of footage. It blew well, it's, clearly, it's clearly a vertical slice. Like, I would imagine that's what you'd see if you saw the demo in the booth, if E3 had happened. Yeah, that might be what it was, is a demo that they were working on to get polished up that they could possibly show at mm -hmm. E3. Because apparently that, that was like, that, that demo is like four or five months old. You can tell, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's buggy for one, but to your point about it being a vertical slice, that absolutely makes sense because it literally shows everything in one mission it's basically one 30 minute mission and then after the mission they show leveling up um but it shows like starting out and getting the mission traveling by horse to the shore getting in a boat getting into boat combat ramming the boat through a castle wall storming the castle killing the the sub boss killing the the king of the castle and finishing the mission watching the cutscenes afterwards so you get the whole gameplay loop from this clip and there's just Tons of detail. I found myself pausing, rewinding, replaying a ton because there was stuff that I was picking up on. And it was really hard for me to remember if all of it was in Odyssey or not. But Matt, I know that you're basically a scholar on Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So I'm very glad that you're here to talk about this stuff. Um, so maybe the first thing we should talk about, we'll take it in chronological order in the way the demo happened, um, riding on horseback. That's not really anything new for the franchise. However, now there's this new cinematic camera that you can select while you ride that'll have like the camera like right next to the horse's head and your head as you're kind of bucking along. And running people over because you can't see where you're going. Yeah, well, the other thing too is it looks <laughs> like the horse has this like ability to like bump other horses off the road. Like if you ride mm -hmm. up alongside of them, you can kind of jump to the side and knock them out of the way and keep going. Um, I don't remember either of those features being in Odyssey. Is that right? Um, not to that degree. Like the, the like the the primacy that your horse seems to have in this game is new. Um, yes, it seems to be like a, an element of the game that's there all the time. Animals in general seem to be a big theme for this game because mm -hmm. you fight the boss at the end of the demo, and the boss has a wolf, and you have to kill both the wolf and the boss. And if we've seen in trailers and screenshots for Valhalla, you eventually get pets yourself, like bears and things like that. And so I think that could end up being one of the defining elements, I guess, of Valhalla compared to other Creed games. Mm -hmm. um, at least it, it appears to be that way. But also there's other stuff too. As we keep going, we'll get to even more stuff. Um, so you're riding and you get attacked by a pack of wolves. Um, again, like more wildlife animal stuff just happening. He jumps off. He ends up killing all the wolves. There are finishers for animals. Hmm. Was that an Odyssey? I don't remember that. Uh, not that I remember, but I 
Yes, there know, are. There are Fini finishers yes. for animals. Like I don't remember doing any finishing moves yeah, on wolves. Like crazy yeah, elaborate animations. Yeah, I do. Uh, especially okay. if you were doing it against like a, a a primal like panther. I remember doing one. Not against like just the basic animal, but if it was like a hunting mission for a specific animal, yes, I did see a finisher. Yeah, well, these aren't named creatures, though. These are just reg reg regular yeah, trash Yeah, it's just one animals. of, like, 50 wolves, and the one's laying on the ground, and he jumps up in the air and comes down and, she. like, stabs... Yeah, she, right. Yeah, it was a she. They they used a female character. Um, so, yeah, there's weird finishers for rank-and-file animal animals in the game, which I was like, what? That seems a little weird. Uh, combat. What did you think of the combat that you saw, Matt? I mean, it, it, it seems like a pretty natural evolution of... Um, of odyssey yeah uh it, it's clearly the same it's clearly odyssey somewhat hosed down in viking juice yeah. um it's it does seem to be taking some cues from um like i see a lot of witcher 3 in this footage me too um and i don't yeah. i don't i don't say that as a bad thing yeah, obviously um i do think the the flashing rune stuff is going to annoy me after a while like Every a lot of hits and a lot of things like in the combat seem to flash up like like neon runes, which must indicate like counters or like something about how how you're fighting. Um, and just watching it already, I got annoyed by and distracted by that. I also um, noticed I wasn't that a there's fan one there. scene where he shoots or where the player shoots an enemy in the leg. And his leg almost turns like it's on fire. Did you see that? Yeah, I I what assume that, that I assume that was some kind of like property of the of the whatever like era. It seemed it seemed like some kind of like because I'm guessing like your abilities in this are like you know you're you're gonna have fire arrows or like poison arrows or maybe you're like things like that. And I assume that that was some property of the arrow that that they were using. Interesting, because um, you had stuff like that in Odyssey as well. Yeah, yeah, you've had charged arrows in Creed for a long time. It just didn't look right, I guess, is why it caught my eye. Well, there's a lot of stuff in this that didn't quite look right, and I yeah. couldn't tell sometimes how much of that was just, you know, the low res of the footage and how much of it was like, oh, this, this isn't done. Um, but it's, And it's hard to kind of say, because, like, I, you know, obviously it's a pretty old build, it seemed like, and, like, they've got a lot more time left before it actually releases, but like, do I think that like kind of the slidey move when she gets on the horse is going to be fixed for the final game? Maybe not. Like, it, like a, a lot of it felt like this is just the level of jank we're going to have to deal with for this open world Assassin's Creed game that is coming out two years after the last one. You know, like yeah. Did like, you I, notice I, that fire seemed like a theme as well? Like there was a couple points where enemies were set on fire, and there was a point where the playable character literally gets completely engulfed in flames. Yeah, well, Viking warfare did enjoy a lot of fire, and yeah. um, also if you know if, if naval combat such a big uh, component of this, like you know, fire is the most dangerous thing for yeah. a boat, mm -hmm. um, which is you wouldn't necessarily think so because you're surrounded by water, but it's very hard to put a fire out on a boat. And um, so it wouldn't surprise me if that was a thing. Also, it's just sort of like there's a fire and flames element and like kind of Norse mythology and Norse stuff anyway. So yeah. it, it kind of makes sense. Um, I imagine there'd be some, I mean, I don't think there'd be like ice magic or anything because like Assassin's Creed doesn't really roll that way except in like some of the DLC. Yeah. Um, but I could imagine there being like a, like a big contrast between like fire and cold somehow, like yeah. or, the, or the ice in the sea or something like that. Like I... I would think that temperature extremes might just be a natural kind of theme that would evolve out of the use of the Viking setting. 
Okay. Uh, and then other parts of the combat, most of it looks very similar to Odyssey, but with some mm. tweaks. So the the kind of not the finishers, I don't I can't remember what the formal word for them is, but like the kick moves where you kick them real quick or you use a short the the shield to like bash them real fast. Like those mm. were kind of hitchy and moves? Fun- Is that what they are? I, can't, I, I think couldn't they were remember kind of as abilities if I remember. Okay. Correct. Yeah, they, they were, at least in Odyssey they those would have been like the the abilities that you'd have to trigger. Yeah, with, with a cooldown. Yeah, so that's what I'm talking about. Well, they were kind of hitchy in Odyssey. They look way better here, way faster, mm-hmm. way more fluid. It, it just the the impact feels way more um, impactful, <laughs> for lack of yeah. a better word. Well, there is a, there's definitely a lot more um, weight behind them, uh, and, and the yeah, I think that's natural given the uh, the Viking thing. You want everything to feel big and powerful. Um, and I think they're getting that, and the sound effects as well. Like the the, the, the hits are very chunky, I guess is how I'd, I'd put yeah. it, and and they aren't quite that quite that much in uh, in uh, Odyssey. Yeah, I mean, just watching the combat, it appears way more fluid than it was in Odyssey. That mm-hmm. to me is a huge bonus. There's uh, there's also like a it seems to be a lot more interaction with what the enemy has. So uh, there's one scene where he takes the shield away from an enemy and then uses it to kill the enemy. Um, there, there's a couple scenes throughout the footage just kind of speckled in there that show stuff like that. And I know that's nothing new for the franchise, but it just seems to be a little bit more fleshed out than before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the parrying and stuff like that, that looks like it's taken straight out of uh, Odyssey. Um, yeah, I don't. Think? I don't think there's going to be a lot of surprises gameplay wise in terms of like the basic movement well, throwing, and combat. Throwing weapons seems mm. to be a huge focus of this. Like every weapon on the ground, if if you watched, the icons just kept popping up. Throw weapon, throw weapon, throw weapon, and then towards the end of the footage, the player starts getting into it, and it's pretty crazy because he's just like tossing stuff everywhere. And then the way the combat works is your your abilities, I guess they are, are assigned to the four face buttons. And then both the L2 and the R2 are modifiers. So you actually have three levels of face buttons in the combat for this game. And there's one of those abilities where he throws like two axes like really hard and it almost does pretty much just kill enemies. I um, mean, then another thing I noticed, it appears that both the lead character and the enemies have stamina meters, which, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of, but mm-hmm. <laughs> just something that I noticed in the footage. It does look a little weird having those two bars above enemy heads, but I'd rather have the two bars and get that data than not get it at all. I'd rather have and that. I'm sure at- you can turn that off if you want to. Probably. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, Eagle Vision seems to be a much bigger deal this time. I hardly ever use it when I play Assassin's Creed, except kind of when I need to. The player that's playing this was using it constantly, like over and over again. I don't know if that was at the behest of a developer saying, use Eagle Vision, use Eagle Vision. But I hardly I ever know. use it when I play. But they I, mean, use I use it all the time to mark all the enemies out, but it's yeah. like, I don't use it for like just standard moving, movement. Yeah. yeah, they were just like adventuring, looking around, and we're using it. So maybe that's a bigger element this time uh, as well. Well, in um, the, uh, when you had a certain... They offered two options, and I remember in Odyssey where you could do adventure mode, I think it's called, where they didn't give you the waypoint, and you had to hmm. use Eagle Vision constantly just to find the location. So that's maybe the possibility of what that was. Yeah, I mean, this there, there is a waypoint in this footage, though. Oh, okay. But maybe they're just I using seen it for it, that. So you guys are telling me everything. Thing. You didn't watch it. I'm I surprised. It. Well, I it's still I, up. Oh no! I it got taken down. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty much it's gone. It's gone. I, I, I tried to, running it. I tried no, to it's find, gone. It's gone. 
I, oh, they went to Gamatsu and told him to take it down. Yeah. So I literally, I, <laughs> I tracked it. I tracked it down like I tried to the last couple days and I couldn't find it. I have it. Um, uh, maybe I'll post it for our subscribers. Maybe. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I want to call from Yubi. I know Yubi really well. And chances are if they did call me and told me to take it down, it wouldn't be a big deal. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, what else? Uh, let's see. Uh, the Castle Siege. What did you think about that, Matt? So you bust through the main wall with the boat, which is pretty freaking awesome. And then you get there and you all spill out. And then you start using this like huge battering ram. And it becomes this, this thing where you're trying to use a battering ram to get through doors inside the castle grounds while you're fighting all the enemies that are around you while you're getting set on fire. So it's this like, multitasking thing where you're you're constantly going back to the battering ram to try to keep working on the door while you're getting attacked by enemies. And then there were multiple doors. I don't know if every castle is going to play out that way, but it was kind of a unique take, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't... It didn't look, to me, quite as dramatic as, like, the storming of the castles in, like, Shadow of War. Yeah. Um, like, it, it, something about it just seemed to lack the scope of that. Um, but like, uh, it's an, it's an interesting idea. Like the, the idea to, that you have to like clear stages of, of getting through the various defenses of the castle makes sense. I'm sure there's more to it as you get to more complex castles later yeah. in the game. Um, uh, but I, mean, I like the idea of kind of conquering the castle and like, you know, like holding territory like that. And like, it probably gives you some kind of like, you know, overarching sort of metagame advantage. I was interested in like when they showed the, the 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 location like the the kind of the establishing shot of location and you had like the stats of the of the of the region down in the corner and it was like yep. wealth mysteries and secrets uh-huh i'm like all right you got the, the open the open <laughs> world junkie <laughs> yeah the open world junkie senses scanning viking scanning coming up um, I, mean, I think and I, I agree with you. I think that it is going to include stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I think it looks like it's definitely going to have like a, a, a capture and hold territory thing. And that's going to factor into like how, how the rest of your, probably the rest of your clan or your Viking empire holds together. And like, I like that a lot. I, I like the taking territory idea. And I like, you know, that was, it was played with a bit in Odyssey, but like it yeah. wasn't really, there was no stakes to you. Cause it was like the Spartans versus the Athenians and, and it was really more like who you wanted in charge of each territory and like what you thought that would the advantages or disadvantages that would give you or, or just getting like some loot when you like changed, you made, made a province change hands or whatever. Uh, but I like it better when you're taking over territory and it's having a concrete impact on your, your economic status or your the abilities you can use or your, your allies you can call in or something like that. And yeah. it looks like that's probably part of this. So that that's cool. Like, cause I've, I've been trying to, I've been hoping they would recapture some of that aspect in the series since like brotherhood, which is the last time I really felt like I was running like a, a functioning organization that was, well, I love that part up. of brotherhood. Yeah. I love that was like it. the best part of it. Yeah. It was so, so cool seeing your dudes just come out of the shadows and like mm -hmm. do work for you. It's like, I'll just sit this one out. Like I'll just let my minions come in and take care yeah. of it. I really I enjoyed that. And I feel like you're probably not going to get like, you know, you're probably not going to be calling in Viking ninjas on this one, the way <laughs> Brotherhood was. But I yeah. feel like there probably will be like a more um, team oriented aspect to it just because of how Vikings fight. And I'm, I think yep. that would be cool. Like I, I miss the, I miss the Brotherhood aspect of the Assassin's Creed thing. You know, I like agree. The, the idea I that they it. used to be an organization and now it's been kind of just like a, one it's guy one running all over the place. It's probably my favorite Assassin's Creed. I yeah. Mean, 
I think, bro- is my I think brotherhood is the thing that finally realized the idea of the Bureau of Assassins. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. And they never really came back to that no, I don't for some get reason. It. I, don't I mean, know. It's, it's, a lot of it is because, at least at first, they really were using different teams to make the game. Different teams and making things up as they went. And like Now it's but, more of a unified effort on that. Yeah, this, but like Brotherhood felt like the game that they'd been trying to make since the first one. Yep. And then they just sort of spun off into crazy town after that. Yep. Um, we'll see. Um, and then one other thing that lends to your assertion that this build is old is the the voice work. I got so mm. sick of hearing that same Viking cry over <laughs> and over. And it was there's a lot the of stuff one. like that. Yeah. And yeah. Like, there's also I don't know if you noticed. There's not only is there a lot of like the same faces in the yeah. crowds. But Even though there's only like twelve dudes that join, but they're you definitely the <laughs> they're definitely Greek. Yeah, like yeah. those are definitely Odyssey. NPCs. Yeah, yeah. Like it's so, so funny. You get off the boat to storm this castle, and like ten dudes run off the boat. I'm yeah. like, I don't know. I think we may need some backup on this. The other thing is, I'm pretty sure that we're looking at like current gen. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Here. That's like, not is... PS5 or Series X gameplay. No, no way. Definitely, you, you're definitely right on the money there. Uh, and then finally, we'll talk about like at the end after the player finishes the mission, he goes and looks at all the progression stuff. So we get to see mm-hmm. like the skill trees. Uh, the skill trees are set up like constellations. Um, and almost like if you look at like the Big Dipper or the Little Dipper, how like the dots kind of mm-hmm. connect to make a constellation. Each one or of those like, is a different Or like upgrade. the skill trees in Skyrim, yep. the other Viking game. Yep, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, it looks like there are three main paths for upgrades. And then within each one of those paths, there are multiple trees that you can yeah, go it out looks on. It looks just like Odyssey. Pretty much, yeah. That is one part of the game that looked like it, it lifted pretty much straight. Like all the, the all the inventory and upgrade stuff looked pretty much identical to Odyssey, just with a different coat of paint. Yeah, and they showed uh, upgrades for melee attacks, ranged attacks, health, um, stealth abilities. So all the stuff you'd expect to be able to upgrade throughout the game is there. Um, there are eight total pieces of equipment that you equip. Again, I think that's the same thing that Odyssey has, and that's if you're not including your quiver for your arrows. Um, so there's eight pieces of armor and gear that you'll constantly be updating, something that really drove me bonkers in Odyssey after a while. Um, the fact that they each one was just this spec better than the one before. I was just always in the menus and just like, I don't feel any different using this weapon than I did from the last one. Well, I eventually stopped doing it. I mean, I, especially yeah. after having played Origins, like I just stuck with what I liked until I realized I was having problems and then I would just switch to whatever the better thing was in my inventory. Uh, and that became even less of a, a concern in uh, the DLC when I finished the game off later. Dude, you uh, were a god. I watched you play some of that DLC. Your yeah. character was a god. <laughs> but, yeah, she was. Cassandra's a demigod. That's right, right. Worked. But you know what I mean? But, yeah. like, you were so OP, like just but, wiping like, people out. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, the, you know, the level scaling is on. Nobody's more than three levels below me, but it's just you get these abilities that just can't be competed. I mean, that's kind of canon, really. Yeah, it is. Um, but, like, it, you know, eventually I just sort of, like, it, it became easier then because you could, um, the, the the later updates for the game added, like, much more robust ability to uh, uh, use the use the blacksmiths to upgrade whatever gear you wanted to stick with to be your current level, and then you could use the cosmetic thing they added to make it look like anything you'd picked up. 
ever mm -hmm. through the whole game. So like you can look however you wanted and you can still get the benefits of even the ugliest armor. If the ugliest armor set in the game had the had the, the stat bonuses you wanted, you could wear that and then still look like what you wanted to look like. So hopefully they keep that system in place on this so you can kind of choose cosmetically what you look like without having to sacrifice utility. Yep. And it looks um, like they do. It, like, it all looked the same to me, more or less. So... Now that we've seen this, I guess I'll share my opinion first. Um, I know a lot of people probably watched this and was like, oh, the footage looks terrible. It's all blurry. I didn't watch it for that because I knew it was just some ripped video and it, it was really had no bearing on the quality of the game. So I just looked at the features and the updates and the upgrades and things like that. And I have to say I'm a little disappointed um, in Valhalla. It's supposed to be a Viking game. It, the axe combat does kind of give it its own flavor. The throwing kind of gives it its own flavor. But it just... It really feels like a big case of deja vu for me from Odyssey. What about you, Matt? I mean, it does look very, very much like Odyssey, which I don't mind because I liked it. And like, so I guess I. The, yeah. the throwing stuff is, I mean, it's not really something I super associate with Vikings. Yeah, uh, I don't know where that's coming from. Honestly. I know where it's coming from. It's coming from God of War. Uh, um, you think they're trying to incorporate I, the axe throwing from God? Yeah, of War. I think that I think they thought that was a cool feature because it, it is. is. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and you know, there's a there's a lot of Norse stuff there, and like you know, you might have sort of this assumption that people have sort of associated Kratos's style of combat with sort of a Norse flavor. Yeah, and I, something you do, I, I I do hope that in the final game, there's a little more weight and a little more uh, punch to the the throw axe throwing because I felt like there was a lot of. It felt like it Something felt very nailed in God of War. Remember yeah, the like it's flap. Yeah. <laughs> like the, yeah, you don't God have of War nailed it. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I assume you're not going to be pulling the axe magically back into your hand. No, but it just felt like when the <laughs> axe hit things in this, like it didn't chunk into them the way that like Kratos's does. That, I mean, like, that's kind of an issue with Assassin's Creed in general. I would argue. Yeah, it is. But like, I feel like if there's one game you're going to need, it certainly is an issue. I think with Origins and Odyssey, mm -hmm. um, with, the, with the new version of the game, I think they where really, combat is really yeah. kind of the crux. Yeah. But so, so I would, if there's one game, if there's one setting to really work on that chunky, chunky, satisfying hit combat with. Uh, it would be Vikings, so I'm hoping they'll get they'll get there in the final game. If this, this, a lot of this just feels really rough and not in a kind of like, oh, they're just going to release it this way, but like we probably weren't meant to see all of. This oh, we weren't meant way. to see probably any of it. To be like, honest, this this feels like something yeah. that was supposed to be peppered into like a an interview segment or something. Yeah, like yeah. beer, a chunk of B-roll that they would give journalists to cut in with their interview yeah. or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Mitch, what about you? I know you didn't get to watch the footage, but after Matt and I have discussed what's in it, what are your impressions? Uh, I'm uninspired. I mean, I you know, as they go from game to game, I'm hoping for an evolution. And you mean that that God that God of War moment where they just flip the franchise like upside down? Not not necessarily. I think you can make like I could I, I the example I would use would be like the Assassin's Creed one two three Brotherhood. I think those games are each different in their own way, but yet still keep the same flavor of Assassin's Creed, and yet these seem more like a. Let's just polish this one thing here and then just change the setting. Let's just polish this one thing here and change the setting. And I think that's just not enough for if you're because I didn't really enjoy Odyssey. I did. I stopped. I couldn't mm -hmm. I couldn't keep going. The progression was taking too long. I was always under under leveled. It was forcing me to do many side missions just to keep on level. And so I wasn't enjoying it. It was more bulky than I expected. And I if the way you're describing everything in all the systems, 
my fear is that's what's going to be again, and I'm not going to enjoy that as much. Um, the only counter thing I thought about when you guys said throwing stuff, I thought um, Vikings are barbaric, and so they'll just pick up anything to kill the person because that's maybe the mentality they want to sell. So maybe that's why you Could can be. just pick up and chuck everything. Well, yeah. the, the thing I would say to that is that historically that is not true. Yeah, so I, I would, think uh, hopefully they I would guess that. That, that Ubisoft is not... Yeah, they're pretty on that to, stuff to usually. Lean on that too hard. Sure. Like they, Ubisoft does seem to like to do like kind of like, oh, this is actually historic. This is what his, history really was like. Also, here's a Minotaur. Um, <laughs> but like, it's kind of a mix of that now, which I like. I like them leaning into the weirdness because it's a simulation and you can do weird god mythology stuff. Why not? Um, but they do seem to like, uh, and this is more prevalent in the older games, but they do seem to like, kind of like to, to demystify uh, the lies my teacher told me, sort of history misconceptions here and there. So, uh, And then sometimes they make uh, Charles Darwin hunt, uh, Charles Dickens hunt ghosts. So you, you never know. <laughs> uh, Mitch, one thing I would say when you're talking about the first few games is that the first few games are the easiest games to make as far as making them different and adding new features because you start with this base and then there you have so much room to build. What happens is as you keep releasing new games in the franchise, you reach the law of diminishing returns where you're working really hard to get just a very slight improvement. Even creatively, you reach the, the law of diminishing returns where no matter how smart or creative you are, it becomes harder and harder to come up with new ideas and new features when you have a game that already has so many features. And Assassin's Creed does. I mean, it's just a gigantic interlocking web of systems. So, Oh, no, I get that. And I completely it's pretty typical for franchises to do that. But that's also why God of War is such a freaking revelation because Sony Santa Monica did manage to do it after a ton of entries in a franchise to completely kind of flip it upside down. Yeah. So. Well, also I'd the first they... three games in Assassin's Creed are all made by the same people, yeah, which helps. Like because mm -hmm. Assassin's Creed One was almost a prototype, and then Assassin's Creed Two was much closer to what they wanted to do, and Brotherhood was pretty much supposed to be the last third of Assassin's Creed Two, but they didn't have time to do it. So um, that's it's all uh, Assassin's Creed uh, Two and Brotherhood are almost one game. That like yeah. you can tell Brotherhood is a little bit more like where they wanted to fully take it, and then Revelation is where they started to farm it out to other teams to get one out every year, and that's where it really started to unravel, like you say, and where some teams would just ignore new features from the other games because they yeah. didn't like them or didn't want to work did on them, bad there for or they were like, years. you know, new features would be added by one team but not picked up by the other team because they had to start their project sooner than the other team could implement the new feature and didn't know if it would work properly, like. Like there, there was the the every year a new Assassin's Creed schedule was what really put that series on its back heels after a while because like you could not keep up with the development of every different team, and so there was no sense of concrete forward progression because every once in a while you'd hit this game where you're like, well, why doesn't this have this thing the last one had? And the answer is because they started working on it like six months after the the other one yep. started being worked on, and there's yep. just no way to sync everything up like that. So I, I totally get that, but I would just say I think they've done the flip with uh, with Origins to completely change the franchise because, like I've said in the past, I think it's not the same franchise no longer. Um, but uh, by by doing that, I think what they've done with the last couple entries is what they've been very formulaic, which is what Ubisoft has been doing with their games. Similar to um, Ghost Recon and Ghost Recon Breakpoint, Division 1, Division 2, very small adjustments and not making an actual leap to make to, to make it feel as if it's a real sequel. It's more I like a 1.5. 
And I, it's pretty I like, rare that I like that happens, them, though. But I like them mixing it. I like mixing it up. It, it's just keeping it the same and changing a, a setting is not enough for me. To it say. is enough, though, I think, because if it, Ubisoft's not going to change anything until something stops selling. And, and these games sell. The, the new format of Assassin's Creed so far has sold through the roof. Uh, I don't need it. I don't need them to reinvent the wheel every time. I need them to make them make their current idea gel better. And Odyssey did that. Uh, Odyssey was had too much. Odyssey was bloated. I mean, it took me 180 hours to finish that game. I think it took and me like, 60 some, and I didn't was, do any of the extra stuff. Well, that's that's, <laughs> include, that's including all the extra stuff for me. Yeah. But like, oh yeah, of it's, course, it's a bit much. It ran out of tricks by the end of that. But like, I'll, I'll absolutely play. You know, whatever you throw at me uh, for this game, I will play it. Like, no question. Um, but I would much rather see them try to sort of like hone what came before and add in some things that enhance it that make make a, make sense for the setting they've chosen. I don't think uh, Norse like Viking stuff is, is particularly interesting. Like ancient ancient Egypt and ancient Greece are more interesting settings to me than this. Um, I would even probably have taken ancient Rome over this, even though it would have been very similar to Greece. Yeah, I'm not all uh, that enthused by Vikings for some reason. Like people yeah, I just, kept telling I me it's, I should watch that Viking TV show. I watched like half an episode and I just bounced right off it. I don't know what it is. Like it just doesn't interest me. I just don't find it a particularly interesting setting uh, yeah. or even period of history. Really, um, I would be. It would have been much more interested in the feudal Japan. Uh, yeah, I would one that, the idea that's been thrown Which around. Probably will come but, someday. <laughs> uh, well, it's coming in about a yeah. week and a half. A week and a half. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, Shishima. Uh, um, right. But uh, but that's I guess the other, I, that's the other question. I have is it will go to Tsushima as another kind of historically grounded open world action game like what's playing another Assassin's Creed Origins derived version of Assassin's Creed going to feel like after I've already played Ghost of Tsushima like, yeah. like that's one of my questions is will Ghost of Tsushima the bar might be stuff in it that yeah. make me say like oh I want my like historical action open world action games to be more like this now and as a result um Assassin's Creed Valhalla might feel yes. a little dated. Well, yeah. there's there's an example for you. Ghost of Tsushima, you can play that game in Japanese subtitles in black and white looking like old movies from back in that time. That's like small details that I think people appreciate more than just saying, go in the setting, there's this bulk thing, and you have this combat you can do. Like those minute uh, touches on a game, I think people appreciate them more than what people give them credit for. Eh, I that eh. I don't find that to be a very compelling <laughs> example. I, just I mean, I love those old movies, but I am not playing this game in black Me and white. Either. I don't I care am. about that stuff. I, that, I care I'm excited about to do that. The Japanese language yeah. is cool, but like I a don't ex- I don't expect them to to dub Valhalla in Norse and like <laughs> like ancient Norse. Like I, I don't think that's that's useful to me because like. Because there isn't an, an old style, you know. There's no Kurosawa Viking movie to really uh, to really like, yeah. You because know, like the, the the Tsushima thing is is referencing the old uh, the, the old Kurosawa films and the kind of the, the Chambara uh, like soap genre sort of thing. Um, so they have something sort of culturally to pull from that. Like I don't think there's an equivalent of that for most of what Assassin's Creed uses. Well, um, yeah, I take that's, that's kind of like half my point is that they're not using an interesting enough setting to like pull some extra nuggets that would make people more interested in the setting. Besides, I just I, no one's buying Tsushima because you can play it in black and white. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't, I think your your point about um, like it's adding not the more, adding more it's game a nice elements. extra thing that makes it enduring. And for me, but, that but is, I would rather have. I mean, I'm, to me I, personally, would rather have a gameplay tweak 
yeah, that I, I use through the whole freaking game in combat than some little flimsy filter that they throw over the graphics. Yeah, I actually That's forgot amazing. entirely about those elements of Tsushima until you mentioned them, Mitch. Like, it's just not... Yeah. relevant not to, to my me, excitement but... over that game. It's but more, look, that, it, it it's more that what Tsushima is so. doing is uh, trying to reinvent some of the wheel in terms of like presentation and how you follow things to get the quests and kind of like, you know, they're not just like going to, you know, and I, I'm, I'm happy that, that Valhalla does seem to be taking more cues from the Witcher three because the Witcher three is the gold standard of an open world action RPG for this generation. Um, but I'm also happy that Tsushima is taking what Assassin's Creed and Witcher 3 have done and kind of saying, well, what can we do that sort of makes a 90-degree turn here? And I don't expect that from Ubisoft because, as you say, they find the formula and they just roll with it until they get shot in the ass, right? Like, you know, like... like until they uh, lose break, money, like breakpoint, basically. Like Breakpoint. <laughs> yeah. you know, and they're going to try to make Valhalla seem like a revolution and get... But, you know, but they, you know, just like they did with Breakpoint and... And they, they sometimes you know they got shame with that. They one. did. They did. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, and and it turned out to be even worse than I thought it would be in terms of how skeptical I was about that. So I'm sure we'll get the oh my god, Valhalla is reinventing the wheel marketing push. But um, I just don't. I don't see that as happening. But I also don't see it as, as as impacting their bottom line in the end. But I do appreciate that sometimes, just sometimes, Ubisoft will go out and break the mold. Like they seem to be attempting to do with with uh, Watch Dogs Legion. Yep. Um, but if Watch Dogs Legion is a hit, get ready for the next Assassin's Creed to be that. <laughs> you right. know, it's like you know, it's like yeah. that's what they're going to do. So I think someone in chat actually summed up the the end of the discussion very well. Um, Nox Eternatatis says, um, "Oh wait, he had another one." Oh, he put somebody in here. Now I can't find the one. Oh, here it is. If they truly wanted to reinvent, they'd take five to seven years, not three and a half years. Man, well, they, that's they, pretty right. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know if it takes seven years to do that, but like... The God thing of War is like, was what? Five? Uh, I don't think was, we know exactly when that started development. Three years, because they had, they had a second project in development. I watched the behind the scenes of making God of War, and I think it took about three and a half years. Um, they oh, that was like hard, like actual development, though, right? That's not it was, including it was like the, the planning the, and well, yeah, it was in stuff. the oven before that. About uh, seven months in, they were supposed to be working on it a little bit longer, but then that project got canceled, and they had to bring everybody in and say, "Oh, now we got to start this project." So um, it's gone through an unorthodox development cycle. But I think it was about four years total if you're looking okay. at it from start to end. That's impressive that they did that in that amount of time. But it's Sony Santa Monica, so I shouldn't be surprised, right? Yeah, Sony Santa Monica is also the, the you know, not the Ubisoft is short on, but they have resources like you wouldn't believe. Oh, yeah. Um, also, they had a very clear vision on that. Yeah. And um, they weren't, they were able to reinvent the, you know, because I think Origins felt fresh in that regard, too. Just, you know, we'll see how God of War 3 feels. Yep. You know, like... How how much can you tweak the throwing of the axe? Yeah, you're right. I mean, now they're gonna they're in the the same boat as everybody else. They've they reinvented mm -hmm. it. Now they have to see if they can keep pushing it forward at that same rate. It's very very difficult. But you know what? I will absolutely take another God of War with everything the same and a new story. No oh, yeah. problem. I'm all good. <laughs> and I'll take another Assassin's Creed. Like even if it's just you know even if after 30 hours I turn the sound off and listen to podcasts and run around and find mysteries and secrets. Like I don't <laughs> you know that's part of the appeal to the, those kind of games to me. Like just sort of yeah. like mindless 
That's why they're popular. There's something in them for pretty much everybody. If you like shooters, you can shoot. If you like stealth, you can stealth. Um, it's just it's a very wide palette, a wide net that it casts, and I think that's why it's the hit that it is. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to stick with Ubisoft for the next topic. Believe it or not, we're doing a UB block to kick off 219. Uh, we're going to talk about a game that was leaked, teased, announced and launched in the span of three days. <laughs> so it leaked. People, The reports were online where Ubisoft is about to announce a its Battle Royale shooter, free-to-play, and we even knew the name. It was called Hyperscape. And then the then Ubisoft the next day put up a teaser trailer, then the day after that put up the main trailer, and pretty much launched the game. Uh, they ended up launching the game basically on Twitch. Uh, they The game has crazy twitch tools built into it so from from the beginning when they when ubisoft was developing this game they planned on it integrating with twitch and so as a proof of their concept when they launched the game if you wanted to get in on the beta and i think it's still going on now but pretty much anyone can get in if they want now but if you wanted to get into the beta for the first couple days you had to go on twitch and like watch somebody play it and they would give you codes um and so proof of concept Check that stuff works. Mm-hmm. Um, Shades you, of uh, what's the the what's the riot one? The riot shooter that just came out. Valorant. Yeah, they did. Didn't they? They did something similar with that. Yeah, right? and I think it's the way of the future, especially if you're a free to play game and you just need as many people to play the game as possible. I just think that that uh, API is going to be something that's going to be in pretty much every one of those games going forward. It just makes sense, and I'm sure. It's probably not that expensive to implement. It's probably something you can just license from some company for not that much money and get it into your game. Um, so it is a free-to-play battle royale shooter for up to 100 players. This game it has three-man squads. I did not realize this when I first started playing. Uh, and like most battle royale games, it starts in the sky. Uh, there's no like, you know how in in like PUBG, you start in the plane and you can see the other people in the plane and then you all, you watch them jump out and blah, blah, blah. It, this one just starts with all these pods just hurling towards the ground. Um, and I didn't realize it was three-man squads and so I just flew off on my own and got killed like immediately in the first game. Um, but it is three-man squads and there is an interesting revive and healing mechanic in this game. So when you die, you don't go to the gulag and you don't have to like just go and like try to to get into the next game. You're actually still alive as a ghost. And as characters die in the world, these little portals pop up on the ground. And as the ghost, what you have to do is you have to get to one of those portals and then one of your teammates has to come to that portal and revive you. And it, uh, as far as I could tell, you can be the ghost for like ever. Like I n- never, the problem is, is because of the system, you have to catch up with your teammates. And once you're dead, they don't care. So they're like running away from you, just playing the game. You're trying to catch up to them as the ghost because there's no point in going to a portal that's like five blocks away from them. They're never going to come and heal you. So it turns into this weird thing where you're like, chasing your teammates down so you can get close enough to them where you find a portal that's close to them so they're like, oh, that's only 50 yards away. I'll come and revive the guy. Um, So that's... I don't know how I feel about that system. It's a little weird because also once you're in one of those portals, so you get to a portal, you hold the button, and you're stuck there in this, like, animation. While you're there, the enemies can come up and, like, basically defuse it. So... There are there is a little bit of like a give and take in how the mechanics work. I 
I'll just be completely honest. I've not played enough of the game at this point to know if it works out well over the long haul. I've played probably 15 matches of it, I guess, at this point, somewhere around there. Um, so I don't know what it's gonna, how that works out over the long haul, but it was interesting at least. I cannot remember another shooter that handles death that way. Uh, health also is a little weird. It creates like an area where health kind of rises up from the ground. You have to stay in the area to actually regain your health. Um, so there are some tweaks to the typical battle royale form formula. And I'll say this, I like most of them. And what I like most of all about this game that makes it so much different from all the other ones is the verticality. So as you guys all know, as I've talked about ad nauseum, I'm a huge Tribes fan. I, th that's a shooter where everyone has a jetpack. This game isn't quite that because you don't, in fact, have a jetpack. But it is very easy to stay airborne. Uh, located throughout the world, there are jump pads. It's uh, almost kind of like a throwback to Unreal Tournament. They're everywhere. But these jump pads just don't shoot you like across the map. They shoot you up, like way up, like to the top of a skyscraper up sometimes. Uh, they'll turn off gravity at certain points in the match, and you could literally hit one of those pads and fly all the way to the top of a skyscraper. And that verticality really changes everything as far as a Battle Royale game is concerned. Some for the good, some for the bad, to be perfectly honest with you, because the other wrinkle with this game is it's not... It's hard to figure out where the safe zones are going to be. Um, I think they're random. There are like eight or nine districts in nine the map. Nine districts, and they are There random. are nine? Yes. And they are random. Is that Correct. what you said? They okay. are random. I was right. Um, and so you never know. Like, if you're in this one district, and, like, the one all the way across the map just disappeared, that doesn't matter. That one that you're in right now could disappear right then. And when it starts to disappear, it does some pretty cool stuff. The whole world kind of starts to disintegrate and flake apart. Like the polygons start like, and this whole game is set in like VR, by the way. It's basically Ready Player One, the Battle Royale shooter. Uh, but anyway, the world starts tearing asunder. Everything starts coming apart as, as it's basically a visual indicator of you're about to die. So the, the less of the world that there is, the closer you are to death, which I thought was a, a pretty cool feature as well. But it does keep you on your toes. But the flip side of this is that what I found was that the best thing to do is find a sniper rifle as soon as you can and then just go to the top of a skyscraper. And I did that, like I ended up partying up with a couple people and we made top 10, like three matches in a row, just doing that. Um, there was a one time where the building that we went to, that was the first zone that was annexed and then we had to move. But the other two times we literally just stayed on top. The one time we finished second and we, I never fired a bullet. We went up to the top of a building. I didn't even have a sniper rifle. All I had was a pistol. And they both had sniper rifles, and I just stood up there, and we got second place. So there are advantages and disadvantages of kind of the verticality. It's very easy to hide from people in this game because you can just go way up if you want to. And at the same time, there's all these buildings on the grounds that have intricate hallways and networks and doors. Uh, they do a really cool thing with the windows in the game. So well, kind of like The Last of Us Part Two. Windows are like a gameplay element. You have to break them, but they will sometimes have like a color on them. And that tells you, it gives you some information. Like basically what I learned was if you go into one of those yellow windows, chances are there's probably going to be a weapon in there. And the way the level design is built, every building, even the smaller buildings have series of ledges on the side of them. And the reason that is, is because a lot of times you're coming from like 
200 yards, 300 yards in the air, and you're coming down, and there's always some place to land. Uh, the rooftop areas also designed knowing that you're going to be parkouring across the rooftops. There's clear lanes that go through the tops of kind of the neighborhoods. And then there are also these rails that connect uh, the big districts of the city. Of course, if you're on that rail, you're a sitting duck. Snipers are just going to shoot you. So I hardly ever went there. But there are ways to get around pretty quickly if you're brave enough uh, to try to do it. Uh, there are eight playable characters initially. The playable characters in this game are so forgettable. Um, and it doesn't help either that they don't really have like any unique abilities or characteristics to kind of set them apart. This game does not have inventory. Again, a huge departure for Battle Royale. You never have like, I'm going to drop this weapon and pick this one up. You have basically two weapon slots and two hack slots. Um, the way weapons work is you just pick them up. If you have a shotgun and you pick up another shotgun, it increases the power of the shotgun. So instead of weapon mods in this game where you'd attach something to your shotgun to make it better, if you just pick up another one, it will give your shotgun new functionality, which is also something that I thought was pretty cool. Like I'm not spending time just like standing still looking through weapon menus or trying to figure out what mod to attach to my gun. It's just, it's run and gun. I mean, that's really what it is. Um, the hacks are your special abilities. You can just pick those up off the ground. And they're typical Battle Royale stuff. There's a wall that you can put up. Um, there's You can turn into a ball, which is kind of cool. Um, it's a defensive technique because once you turn into the ball, you can bounce a lot higher and you're also like elastic. Um, and so basically what you do is you use that to get away from enemies when you're overwhelmed. So... There's a lot about the game that's very similar, but it also, as far as Battle Royale shooters go, it's one of the more innovative examples. And again, because I do like verticality in shooters, and I am kind of a fan of that style of shooter, this might be one of my favorite Battle Royale games. Have either one of you guys had a chance to uh, give it a go yet? No. No? What about you, Mitch? No, but it. Um, I saw a preview for it a while back, and I'm really curious about it. Um, I do like the verticality. I do like. I'm surprised, the, Mitch. You're not on the hunt for any and all games to play on your new rig. Like when <laughs> I build a new rig, I'll play the worst PC games for at least like a month and a half. I'll play everything because I just want to see how everything looks on my new rig. So I'm surprised you haven't fired it up already. Well, sometimes I'm like I had to get B-roll for my game flip this week, so that took uh -huh. up some of my gaming time, and I have to do some other stuff in my spare time to find a job. So it's kind yep. of been managing that time. If I had more time, I would definitely have already played this yep um also so when it started there were three-man squads and i should mention eventually they did include a every man for himself mode but there was a twist on that and that was that the whole map was shrouded in maroon fog um and it, and you may say oh that's silly or it, in a game about verticality that's huge because you can't if you're coming down from the air you can't see the people on the ground. They're shrouded in the fog. So it takes away a good bit of the verticality out of the game. So if people aren't inclined to enjoy shooters like that, then there are options for them as well. No vehicles. Uh, so for some people who've been playing a lot of uh, Warzone, that might be a step back for them. Um, but I think people who want a more direct Battle Royale game um, something that you have to, don't have to think that much about while you're playing, but still have a good bit of depth. And really the depth is kind of in the traversal is what it comes down to. I think this is a good choice. Um, I've bounced off pretty much every Battle Royale game 
Um, this is the one that I believe I've enjoyed the most, which I'm completely shocked by. But again, I'm very unique in what I like in my shooters compared to a lot of other players. I'm sure most people probably think Warzone is way better than this. But this game is free to play. Um, and that angle of the game is not egregious. Like, they've never asked me to spend a penny on the game yet. And again, I haven't played a ton of matches. I'm sure it probably happens eventually. But for the break-in period, they are very kind. They're not bombarding you with, like, go buy this, buy our season pass, buy this hat, buy this gun. I didn't see any of that. It's basically like, here's this hub that you enter um, where you can launch everything. You can look at your inventory. You can launch a, launch a match from. Um, and it's just very straightforward and easy to understand and jump right in and play. Um, so I've had fun with it. Would I pay money for this game? No, <laughs> I, I'm not a big battle royale guy. The other, I mean, and another part about this is you do live after you die as the ghost. Um, but it, a lot of times you die real fast, just like every other battle royale game. Like literally you, you come down in your pod, you land, you walk in the first building and someone shoots you in the face with a shotgun. Uh, that part of battle royale is here and I don't know how you ever avoid it. I think that's what some people like about it. Um, but just to let you guys know, that is a part of that subgenre that is prevalent here. But again, it's free to play. It's PC only. It also, to Matt's point about Valorant, it scales very, very well. I tried a bunch of different resolutions uh, to see how it was scaling. It does a really, really good job. Um, and it runs like lightning pretty much no matter how it's scaled. It's just very intelligent and in how it manages your GPU in general. So even if you have like a graphics card from like five or six years ago, you're still going to be able to play this and be competitive. And I think that's something that we're going to keep seeing going forward. Uh, these companies not wanting to squeeze anyone out of their ecosystem, uh, especially with free to play because every single person matters because there's a very small percentage of those people that are going to actually spend money. So I was pleasantly surprised by this. Uh, so a little surprised that Yubi didn't wait till its show. I do wonder if the leak uh, forced Yubi's hand and it hadn't planned on announcing this as early as it did. But at the same time, it is kind of a, a free-to-play Battle Royale game that maybe they wouldn't want in their big press event. But uh, I have been very pleasantly surprised by this game. I've already uninstalled Valorant. I will not uninstall this game for a while. Um, and I need something to play right now anyway. So Question I'm probably going to keep going. You. Sure. Um, when you're the ghost, could yep. you use that as an like? Do you still have chat with your teammates? So oh. could you use that to I'm an advantage to up. be like I'm, a spotter and like sneak ahead? I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, you absolutely can. So it, just like in a lot of uh, battle royale shooters, there's a ping system in this game. Um, so you can alert your teammates to weapons, to enemies, or just anything that you want them want to get their attention. And the system works in this, and it also works while you are the ghost. And it is pretty cheap because they can't see you. Like, the other team can't see you when you're a ghost. I mean, you're invisible. But you can see them, and you can mark them. So you can absolutely become a functional part of the team as the ghost. I have a feeling that's something that either gets eliminated eventually or really nerfed because it just... It just seems absurd, in all honesty. Even with three-man squads, it seems absurd. So, yeah, that is something that you can do as a ghost. You can go ahead and start tagging, pinging stuff to alert your teammates. 
And I also found that that was a good way to remind them that you're still alive because sometimes they just like you die and they just go and they're like two miles ahead and you're waiting for the whole dying animation to happen and all the reincarnation and all that crap. By the time you're ready to go again, they're like long gone. Um, and so I found that like as you ping stuff, they get alerts and they're like, oh, he's still alive. And sometimes they'll start working their way back towards you a little bit. So can you not chat with them when you're the ghost? Um, I never chatted and even try chat. So I ok't okay. know. Um, the other only other thing it's you played on a PC, but it is available for all major platforms now mm. or is it only available for PC now? I did not know it was available for other platforms now. I thought uh, it was just it, PC listed as PC, PS4 and Xbox One. Yeah, I mean, but that doesn't mean that they're all available right now though. That's well, that was my question. It did, was it is it available for all major platforms? I don't I think don't... so. I think it's just PC right now. And the okay. game is still in beta, I should also add. It's not Oh, um, okay. Then it definitely is probably just PC. Yeah, it's, it's not beta. officially released yet. But here's the thing, people, you can sign up for it. Just go to Ubisoft's site. They're accepting everyone. In fact, when they sent me a code for it, they I had asked for multiple codes because I wanted to get Mitch and Vincent and some other people into the beta. And uh, they told me, they're like, you don't need another code. Here's yours. But everybody can just go sign up. We're accepting everyone immediately. So there you go. Inside information from Ubisoft, they're, they're accepting everyone. So if you want to go sign up, probably within 20 minutes, you'll get your code. You can download it. Now, the downside of that is you have to go through Uplay. I have not played a game through Uplay like ever. <laughs> it was the first time I had ever done it. It does work pretty well. It was interesting, though. I had like 60 friend requests waiting for me. Like, I don't know how... People knew who I was because my name on Uplay is SLG Shane. And I don't, maybe there's some kind of a thing where they're like, hey, you're, here's your Facebook friend or something. I don't know. But I had all these friend requests waiting. So I already have a big gaggle of friends on Uplay. Um, but I am starting to realize now on my bottom tray, I have, let's see, I have the Xbox app. I have the Epic Game Store app. I have Steam. I have Riot's Launcher. I have Uplay. This is getting out of hand. Like that's all, I just looked at my bottom tray and just listed the things that are all there. Just these programs, apps for gaming. Someone needs to unify that crap, if you ask me. Um, but anyway, I had a lot of fun with this game. And again, I like the verticality. Another cool thing is like, you can really bring death from above in this game because there's this like crazy slam that you can do. And you can do it from like the top of a freaking skyscraper and just reek down on them. So there are parts of this that make it feel different from any other Battle Royale game. So if you're like me and you've kind of bounced off of PUBG or Warzone or Fortnite, um, this is something different. And maybe this is something that will strike your fancy this time. So it doesn't cost anything. Um, sometimes it is a pain in the ass to just download stuff. This is only like seven gigs, I think the download was. So it's a small client, very low risk, very uh, potentially a pretty high reward. So I highly recommend if you got a rig, and it really doesn't matter how powerful it is either because it scales really well. But if you got a decent PC rig, give it a go. Um, I don't think you'll regret it. All right. It's time to move on. We're going to move away from Ubisoft finally. <laughs> we're, we're doing them a big service today, apparently. Um, and we're going to talk about the Xbox Series X first party event. We finally started getting some details on this. Um, it was kind of one of these things that everybody had just assumed was going to be in late summer, and then Microsoft said, okay, it's going to be in July, and then we didn't have a date in July, but they finally announced it's going to be July 23rd at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Um, actually, I'm going to have to look on the calendar really quickly, and that is a Thursday. Thursday. 
Yep. Uh, so Thursday, the 23rd at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern uh, is when the big event goes down. There's some information leaking out right now. And then some of that information has already been corrected. Uh, but the big one that's floating around right now is that Microsoft's new studio called The Initiative, which you guys may have completely forgotten about uh, because Microsoft established it like two years ago. It's actually here in L.A., um, the big rumor is that that new studio that's now been in operation for about 18 months, roughly, uh, that studio is making a new Perfect Dark game. Uh, the initial rumors were that Perfect Dark was going to be shown um, for the first time, uh, which to me, I, I was like, if it's coming from the initiative, that sounds a little too soon, unless it's some kind of a CG, like, this is what the game's like piece. Um, but I mean, Jeff Microsoft Krug, is not above doing that. I mean, you're right. I was just reminded today that there's a Battletoads game yeah, coming. Yeah, what happened I completely to freaking Battletoads? I mean, do you think it's canceled now or something? No, I, I don't... I guess I we'll know. find out on the 23rd. I guess, yeah. I mean, it didn't look like something that you would need to cancel. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like an indie game with Battletoads, yeah. basically. But it's taken them a long, long time to get that done. Uh, but anyway, Jeff Gru Grubb from Venture Beat, who has now become like the replacement for Jason Schreier, if you don't want to spend money on a subscription to Bloomberg. He is reporting that uh, Perfect Dark will not be there. He said he could not, he has been unable to confirm or deny if the initiative is working on Perfect Dark, but he does know that whatever game they're working on is too early and Microsoft doesn't want to show it yet. So it sounds like there might be a new Perfect Dark in development, but we're probably not going to see it on the 23rd. We just talked about Perfect Dark, what, like, four episodes ago, mm -hmm. something like that, uh, for its much big the, anniversary. Much the consternation of YouTube. Yes, we, we, got, we got lit up for that one. Because <laughs> yeah. we, uh, we were like, ah, oh, this game is not aged well, but I think a lot of people are just remembering what it was like when it came out. And I think Matt mm -hmm. and I would both agree, sure, when it came out, it was, it was pretty damn good, but it is not aged especially well over time. I guess it's better if you play it on like the rare replay Probably, yeah. version, because it's, it's, it's smoother. What about a sequel, Matt, from a brand new studio? Does that sound like a, a winning combination to you? I mean, a Perfect Dark sequel does not really grab my attention to begin with. Um, Do you think other people, though, it will? I, don't, I feel like a lot of people outside outside of the core demographic, like like the type of people who would watch us on YouTube, um, I feel like most people don't know that Perfect Dark is even a thing. Yeah. Um, it didn't make much of a cultural splash. It was certainly no golden eye in terms of mind share. And the, uh, you know, Perfect Dark Zero was a dud. So you're talking about a game that has basically been off the radar for 22 years. Um, yeah. It's not it's hard it's to not, imagine. Anyone that's like us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to, that's what I was going to say, Matt. Like for me as a younger a person, I, this has no appeal to me. The brand itself has no mm -hmm. meaning to me. Uh, double, well, you were, what, four when it came out, Mitch? Probably. I mean, I played <laughs> GoldenEye when I was a kid. Like, that yeah. was probably the only thing from them. And then I didn't even know about Perfect Dark. I knew Perfect Dark Zero, but my my brother had the game. And Well, you had, you were a little older then, you know. That came out older. for Xbox 360. Yeah, but I preferred Cameo. It was better. <laughs> I'd agree. Definitely, I'd agree. Yeah, the, I, I feel like you need to you need like a Tomb Raider level reinvention of this thing to make a, a new a new Perfect Dark worthwhile. I mean, the character was never that interesting. Let's just be honest. No. She's just a female secret agent. She never had witty lines. Like the funniest character in the whole franchise was a, an alien. Yeah, who <laughs> was like the stereotypical alien? What was his name? Elvis. Elvis. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and it just—I mean, it obviously this is, this is even more niche, but like. 
in compared Joanna Dark is just nothing compared to Kate Archer from uh, No One Lives Forever, yeah. like like which are more or less contemporary games. Yep. And uh, I mean that part of that was just sort of like the you know No One Lives Forever. You pretty much most most of the time until a PS2 anyway stuck because it was PC only. But you know Perfect Dark was N64 only, so it's not like it's yeah. a huge you know multi platform hit or anything. Um, I just feel like you you need to really figure out a new angle on this thing because like Perfect Dark comes out it it did come out of the Golden Eye world in terms of gameplay, but in terms of presentation and tone and story, it came out of kind of the the Mission Impossible slash X Files world, and like For that sure. is it was it was a very '90s idea when you really got down to it, and I feel like you need to have a new idea. For that whole thing, yeah. I gotta know if the secret agent discovers aliens thing is is as salient as it once was. <laughs> well, um, I think that's also Microsoft's problem right now. They're trying yeah. to push franchises that people don't care about anymore, and the and this is why Sony's been so successful is because they've mm-hmm. reinvented many franchises or brought in new franchises that people care about. And I think that's what people want from Microsoft right now is give me something new. Don't take something that you've done before or a franchise that exists before. Give me something new. Give me something different. Well, I, I think the you're 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 more right at the beginning of that than the end because God of War and games like that show that like you will give you give me something new if you reinvent an old thing. Correct. And Microsoft yes. just does, but like early on in that in the in that sentence, you were basically saying that Microsoft just doesn't do that, and that's very true. Like they don't reinvent things; they just sort of make it again. And like for me, if you forced me to make a perfect dark game against my will, like what I would do is I would basically reinvent it as Control. Like I would make something that's more of a third-person action shooter that had elements of kind of like the new Tomb Raiders and elements of Control in terms of tone and sort of the approach to the unknown and the conspiracy idea, um, you know, less sort of tongue in, less, less tongue in cheek and more like creepy. And also like kind of more of an open thing. Like, like I I like Tomb Raider's sort of concrete groundedness in terms of how the character feels to move around and and climb on things. And I think I would turn uh, perfect dark into something more like that. Um, I, I would not try to. I would not try to just make another first person shooter. Sci-fi X-Files style shooter. Like I mean, just, that's really what it was. That era was like all about the X Files. Yeah, that's and you, really you just the have you get from it. Microsoft, you know, kind of tangential to Mitch's point. Like Microsoft has the shooter thing locked down. They got Halo and they got Gears. Like they you don't, don't need, need any more of that. Yeah. Like if you want to do Perfect Dark, make it something unique. Make it something special. And maybe that you know, maybe the initiative, maybe new eyes from this new team is exactly what they're doing. Maybe that's exactly what's needed. But until we see what this is. Perfect dark doesn't make me go, ooh. You know, it just makes me go, oh? Okay. It's just yeah. like, all right, sure. I know that name. Yeah. I know these words. It's, it's like... And then the one of the other tidbits is that Microsoft literally, just in the last four days, renewed the Fable trademark with intent to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in the which, same report... Which really does, when you phrase it like that, it sounds like a threat. Yeah, well, a threat I'm very happy, happy accepting, for sure. Uh, now, Jeff Grubb also touched on that in his article. He said that uh, he knows nothing, that he has no clue, um, mm. which probably is good. That, that To me, that's that's a positive sign. Yeah, I mean, I think you know we've been 
pretty sure for a long, long time that whatever the action RPG, the other half of Playground Games is working on is yeah. is Fable. It'd be pretty stupid so, for it not to be. It would um, be yeah, pretty unusual because like, I feel like this you know if Perfect Dark really is in the works at the initiative. I feel like it's along the same lines of the Fable thing where it's like we're just going to take the stuff we have and reinvent it for a new generation. Um, and that is one IP that could be reinvented. Oh yeah, and, and absolutely be hugely. Fable, successful. as much as I do like all three Fable games to varying degrees for what they are, Fable is one of the the most like in terms of living up to the potential of the concept. Fable might fall f- shorter than almost any other game series <laughs> I can think of. Like yeah, like the, all those games you play them and you're like, this could be so much more than this. Like there's so much potential to that concept. And it always felt like it just they just barely got this thing out the door, like in this rudimentary form, no matter how over much promise, they kept going under deliver. That's yeah. the fable song. <laughs> like even when Fable Three I think Fable Three is the closest they got to the scope yeah. they were really after. But yeah. even then, like replayed that a couple of years ago. And even then, like and of course, like immediately after I finished it, they revamped it for Xbox One, like enhanced for <laughs> Xbox One. Like I played it backwards compatible on Xbox One, but then like literally a week after I finished it, they're like, oh, here it is now, enhanced for Xbox One. And like I've been playing this, like the Jets. sound didn't work. It <laughs> echoed weird, like a bunch of graphical glitches everywhere. I'm saying, okay, if I'd waited a month, it would have been fine. But um, it's just like that game really comes close to having the scope that I think Fable really wants to have. And it just doesn't get there and i would love to see you know yeah i don't know we don't know how the team that made forza horizon or the 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 company that made forza horizon rather is going to handle melee combat obviously but um they certainly know how to make a place how to make a world how to make a a a place that feels like a place and that is one of the issues that fable has had is just it always feels like you're playing on these tiny little sets and that's not true. in a world. Yeah, so that's I, a really good I, observation, actually. So I would be, uh, I very, if that is in fact what's happening, a play, other half of playground is in fact making a new fable. I will be very interested to see what they do with that. Yeah, I'm still nervous because you know they never made a game like that before. But I'm also very excited that we may get another fable. Um, and the truth is, there's so many studios under Microsoft's umbrella now, and they're all sharing mm-hmm. tech and code and all this. They're collaborating together, and so I feel. In a lot of ways, the tide can rise all the boats under Microsoft's portfolio. Yeah, I portfolio. think that's the plan. Yeah, and now it looks like they might be the front runner on the WB purchase. That nice segue, Matt. That was the next very interesting about. scenario. Yeah. So today, a story broke that Microsoft has become one of the front runners to pub to purchase. WB Games. WB Games, if you aren't familiar, they make the Batman Arkham games. They make all the Lord of the Rings games. They make all the Lego games. I Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Um, it's uh, Mortal Kombat. Like, yep. It's Big a, stuff. It's a bit, if, you, know, if, you know, for $4 billion, you assume all that kind of stuff is included. It has otherwise, it's not worth anything. Yeah. But imagine all that under only on Xbox. Could that be a game changer, Matt, that could potentially turn the tide of Generation 9? Because right now, I'll be honest with you, it's hard for me to see Microsoft having a chance as things sit right now. I think it'll do okay, and I think they'll make money. Yeah, and, I, I just think, as far as- no, I agree that I think that unless they come out swinging with reinventions of things in ways that we just have never seen from them before, yeah. which is possible, but obviously history tells us different. Like it feels like Xbox is doomed to being also ran this this generation, and um, maybe through no fault of its own, it might just be that no one could compete with Sony's you know first party lineup. But um, except Nintendo, but Nintendo is not 
trying to compete. They're not playing the same they're sport. Not, they're not playing the same sport. <laughs> no. And um, yeah, I, that would go along. That would be a feather in the cap at, very, at the very least. Like, I, you know, and, and the question becomes like, so like a lot, there's been a lot of talk. About, oh my god! Exclusive Batman on Xbox and PC. Exclusive um, Lego. So so all that stuff is 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 an interesting like idea. But then when you think about it, here's here's the rub to that. Almost all those things are licenses. Yeah. So if you're Lego, are you going to be happy with the idea that your Lego games, which let's face it, are pre- there to promote Lego as something to buy the physical? sets and play with lego in real life like that's the point is to endear children and their parents to lego and get them to buy the real life sets are you going to be happy that all of a sudden you're not on nintendo and sony platforms because microsoft bought the game company like that feels like something that if if i'm that licensor like i feel like i'm gonna start shopping around at that microsoft would have to provide a make good yeah. With, with money. My say, guess we'll on give that, you more money to offset your losses in these other areas. Yeah, so my guess on that was would be like, at the very least, I would think stuff like Lego and Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings would have to remain multi-platform. Or... Someone's asking in chat, actually, is there a chance that they could still be multi-platform? There, there definitely is. And Jam Rain 99 is asking. Or uh, Microsoft just coughs up a whole bunch of cash at the at the licensees uh, licensors uh, to keep them happy and say like this will make up for the amount of money you're losing from not selling on the other platforms. What would what would be the deciding factor there is whether the licensors um, are more worried about the cash from the sales on the other platforms or if they're more worried about the exposure from being yeah. on all the other platforms. And for Lego, are? I think exposure is probably more important. The latter. Yeah. And Harry Potter, I would think exposure is more important. And I was going to say, on top of that, you you think about it, Microsoft acquired so many studios recently within the last couple of years that these projects that those studios are working on probably aren't ready in the next 18 months, or it's mm-hmm. going to be close, where if they purchase WB, they have Suicide Squad probably ready to go pretty soon. They have Harry Potter ready to go next year. That would be a great advantage to them that could turn the tide. But yeah, there is that big hiccup, Matt, of will the licensee allow that? And I think that's the biggest question mark that maybe might stop Microsoft yeah. from being well, able to purchase them. Well, also the those games you mentioned, they would still be multi-platform because legally, I don't think you can suddenly say, we are not going to release these games as your contract yeah. said they were. Yeah, if those games are oh, multi-platform, they're going to um, be multi-platform. That's yeah, right, because, so it would be their um, next projects that would be a potentially Microsoft exclusive. And then you start to get into the question of do these licensors even want to stick around? And then you paid $4 billion for nothing. That's yeah. right. Because um, Outer Worlds had to be multi platform, even though they mm-hmm. bought Obsidian yep. before. There's been yeah. several yeah. games. Contracts are in like place, that. deals yeah. are already in place. Like you yeah, can't well. really renege on that, even if, even if the company changes hands. Yep. Um, so do you guys think that that is something that could potentially turn the tide? Do you think it, Microsoft could win if it were to? I mean, that's a big purchase, but. I don't know if it could win, but it wouldn't hurt. Like you know, if you if I if you have to buy an Xbox to play Mortal Kombat, like that's a big deal. It's not that's not nothing. Yeah, I mean it sells ten million copies every freaking time. Mm-hmm. So that's a gigantic deal. Harry Potter, gigantic deal. Maybe not as big as he once was, but you know, a first and keeping party. it on um, and keeping it on PC. Obviously, I mean, anything yeah. on Xbox will also be on Windows. So it's, you know, that's... yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing to keep in mind here to what Mitch was talking about about still maybe releasing stuff on multiple multiple platforms besides PC or Xbox is that Microsoft of the big three has been the one more open to that yeah. stuff, and they are friendly with Nintendo. Like I could yeah. definitely see putting oh, like, the Lego games, stuff on Nintendo. Like, yeah, they've released games based on Rare's IP on Nintendo's handhelds mm. for years because it's like we don't have a handheld but 
this is going to build our IP and we'll make some money in the process. It's a win-win. Um, kind of just being friendly with everybody except Sony could yeah. be an interesting strategy. Yeah, there. <laughs> you're right. Um, so I think this is kind of the trump card for Microsoft. I think this is one thing that could at least yeah. make them competitive with PlayStation. And you got to wonder if, like, you know, if if you're if I'm Microsoft and I'm thinking about this purchase, the the bigger thing in terms of exclusives and kind of filling in that library that I'm thinking about is if Sony's got Spider Man, we want Batman. Mm. Yeah. Marvel versus DC. It'll never end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that you're right. That's another angle to it. They're like, they got one of the most iconic superheroes locked mm -hmm. down, and maybe we can do this. And same. a formula that's ready to go that has, for some freaking reason, not been exploited for half a decade. Look, I didn't like Arkham Knight, but I would have I bought a new Batman game every couple of years yeah, of if you wanted to put them out, even if they were uninspired clones, because I just like that formula. And that um, might be a concern, too, is that Rocksteady has turned into the next Naughty Dog, apparently, and has decided to take a really long time yeah. to make its games now. Well, I think, I doubt they've been working on Suicide Squad that whole time. I yeah, feel I like a lot so either, of behind-the-scenes shifting has occurred. They also yeah. had the um, VR game they worked on before that. Yeah, they so did. They did do, I don't, well, I don't think that was their whole, I think that was a sub-team kind of Sure, but there was something there. they were working on that they weren't putting resources towards. Yeah, it's just, it, I don't think the VR game was notable in that regard i think you know they, they've got a lot of people and that vr game probably took a much smaller team like five or ten people probably for a lot of it probably until like yeah. final final stretch yeah that yeah. was probably a very almost a side project for a bunch of people yep um it's also like two hours long <laughs> so is it yeah uh, it, it, I don't know. I, I, it's going to be real interesting to see what Suicide Squad looks like, and you know, no rock steady for half a decade. Like what? And what are they going to? What are they going to come out? Swinging it may with? be nervous know. to spend four billion dollars for sure. Oh yeah, um, but yeah. I mean, on anything really, except well, yeah, Star I'm Wars. Be <laughs> I'd be nervous spending four well, I mean, billion yeah, dollars. Because no think what. about that. Like that is the same amount of money that Disney paid for Lucasfilm. And that yeah. was all of Star Wars, all of Indiana Jones, all of that stuff. Yeah, and, it, and to, to fair, me, the price still is too high. I mean, I'll just be honest. The, the I, price, yeah. Well, the, I mean, the price. I would for not that, spend four billion for WB. I just wouldn't. No, neither would I. The price for that for Star Wars is actually pretty low. Oh, uh, dude, they, they, they got the that, deal of the century on Star Wars. They've made their money back like three times already. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the, the, the caveat the, ever. The caveat being that they didn't have create. They don't have creative control over Lucasfilm. Right. Um, yeah. Which actually has turned out to be kind of a problem, yeah. Uh, in the last Maybe couple of years, yeah. Uh, but like, there's no way. I don't. I mean, I don't know what the behind the scenes dealings would be in terms of the licensing, but like, that would have to come with like you get like three more Batman games after this, and three like I I don't like the the lawyers must be dripping like just drooling over having to negotiate this. Like, is well, yeah, people gonna be charging, oh yeah, they're going to be charging some <laughs> fees for years to come on this. Like you're going to need, you're going to need an in-house fleet of lawyers. You know how many people will get stuff. rich off that sale? Like oh, yeah. hundreds of people will become, if they're not already, they'll just become more wealthy from that deal. Well, yeah, I, I have but, a question for you guys since, since we formulated saying that mainly the license is going to be the issue on this. Do you think that, WB will walk away from a deal with Microsoft to take a deal with someone like 2K, Activision, someone that isn't uh, going to be beholden to a certain console. Do you think they'll walk away from a deal because they're not satisfied with the license? 
I think that's entirely possible. I didn't understand the question. He's saying, do you think that if Warner Brothers has an offer from Microsoft and maybe a lesser offer from Take-Two, they'll go with Take-Two because Take-Two isn't going to lock their properties to one platform. Oh. And no. they prefer the exposure. And I think that is possible, depending on how the licensors feel about it. I don't think that the studios have any say in this. The parent company makes the deal. No, I'm, I mean Warner Brothers, because Warner, no, Warner, Warner Brothers still owns a bunch of those properties. Oh, they, you know, WB Games owns them. No, Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers. owns them. Yeah. So the, the parent company is making, I mean, okay. It's, the parent company is AT&T. AT&T, but like, I think, you know, AT&T is still concerned about the, the value of, say, Batman, because they still own Batman yeah. through, through owning DC Comics, right. which is owned by Warner Brothers Studios. Um, and so in a situation where they're like, well, do we want Batman in game form locked to the Xbox moving forward? They might go with Take-Two because that way they're still getting wider distribution of this Batman property. Uh, or DC in general, or Mortal Kombat, or like you, because they're still going to hold those properties, those IPs. They're just going to farm out the license for the video games to whoever buys these these studios. Um, and like, I could definitely see Warner Brothers saying, Warner Brothers and AT and T saying, like, well, we would prefer to sell it to someone who's going to put it on everything. Or they could just look at the sales for Marvel Spider Man and be like, whatever. It could, but it's not just sales; it's also just exposure, yeah, mind share, and, and getting. It. But it also depends who you know. Microsoft does have the war chest to just be like, oh, you don't like that? Here's another billion. Yeah, like I mean, it's could, really insane. If they want it, money. they can. If Microsoft wants it and they're willing to spend the money, they can get it. Oh yeah, they could buy WB Games right now. Yeah, right now. But if and they wouldn't even notice it, the money. But business. if they're not willing to do that, and like it comes down to a bidding war between them and say Take Two, I could see Warner Brothers siding with Take Two because Take Two is going to give them more exposure across multiple platforms. Yeah, both places offered the same money. Absolutely, they would go with Take Two. But I think Microsoft knows that and would not no, offer the same less. money as Take he's Two. Take Two would offer less. Microsoft would offer more. But and they would still go with Take Two. You would still go with Take Two because the exposure. He prefers like you would think that's that a hard algorithm WB to figure out. It. That's <laughs> a, that'd be that'd be a very specific yeah. situation based on who's the marketing making the genius to figure out whether that one works out or not. <laughs> but they, I guarantee you, they have people crunching those. Numbers, Probably so. they're trying to figure it out for sure. Yeah. I think I think that will be a factor uh, in the bidding war. Is is who's going to treat our properties better and who knows i mean you know it's not like warner brothers have been too great at treating their properties well internally to begin with so yeah. uh and and whether you know we also don't know how much at&t cares as long as the money is there so like you know maybe warner brothers will be like oh, we don't know if we think this is where batman should be and at&t is like i can't hear you over the sound of my money hat kind of thing <laughs> so um, covering up my ears that is also possible that you know that that warner brothers might not be happy about it but they don't have a say because that's the parent company is the one making the choice yep. but i do think I, I i don't think that's a meaningless question from mitch i think that's i think no, that no, no, is no. a concern yeah um, regardless, it's a big deal. Whoever ends up getting WB games, it's going to be a huge deal. It's going to be a game changer. If Microsoft, in fact, does get mm -hmm. W, imagine if PlayStation got WB games. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think PlayStation cares. Rubbing salt in the wound at that point. And also, also you're you're talking about the American uh, publishing rights for uh, CD Projekt Red's games. That's true. Yeah, um, WB is going to publish Cyberpunk 2077 yeah. in the in the U.S. Yeah, they pub just like they publish Witcher Three. Um, they may publish in Japan too. Actually, that might be right. They don't. Yeah, that sounds. It sounds right. I think they do. Sure. I think I was talking to uh, K. Hal, their PR lead, and she was telling me that they they. 
publish a lot yeah. of stuff in Japan. For yeah, it's not nothing. Yeah, no, no. I mean, can, relatively speaking, it is. But it is, yeah, but it's still a, it's still a, you know you still get to put the most talked about game on the internet in your booth at E3 you're probably still or on making your, another 10 million 20 million dollars yeah, I mean, on, your, on your financial call at the end of the year you get to say yeah. you were involved in that and like yeah. Absolutely. I guarantee you cyberpunk's going to be one of the things people are talking about this this holiday season assuming it comes out yeah um, so yeah like that's another feather in the cat yep okay let's move on we're going to talk next about something not as fun as the Xbox Series X first party reveal event and well, we don't is, know. We haven't seen that the real event. Yet. That's true. <laughs> oh, Matt, don't even say that. <laughs> they don't even know what the topic is yet. <laughs> uh, we are going to talk about toxic gamers. I mean, that really is what the topic is about. Um, this is spurred on by the fact that a female voice actor from The Last of Us Part Two has begun receiving death threats. I uh, can't call them fans because they're obviously not fans. Uh, she's receiving death threats from gamers over something her fictional character did in a fake video game. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. Something her fake character did in a fake video game. That very she common. didn't write. That she didn't write. Yeah, very, very that common. she didn't design. She literally went into a studio for three days and spoke into a microphone. Come on, she, people. Well she, well, she also mo-capped it. She mo-capped it. Oh, she did do the mocap. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God, Matt, you should never should have brought that there up. All go. they've got their way the in. Now, Shane, do you think this... I saw some of your comments. you think this is new? I like, do. This, For gaming oh, it, at this this level, yes. This is, just a, this is just a crazy fandom thing. Like, this has been going on since long before games. This, is, this goes back to, like, the 50s and 60s where people would stalk soap opera stars and throw things at them because they did mean things in the soap opera yeah, yeah, they started. I, know. Like, this I, know, is just- I mean, I know it's not something new. It's just, it's become so prevalent at this point that it, it needs to be addressed. It's kind of like, well, no, I want to say that because I don't want to equate it to something really, really important. But anyway, it, it is it is something that has been an issue, but it's escalated at least due to my, the media I'm consuming and the places I'm going on the internet, it has escalated in the last couple of years to a place where it's really on my radar now, where it was before it was something I knew was there and I had to deal with every once in a while, but it was just kind of in the back of my mind is something I could just kind of ignore or blow off. But I feel like now we've reached the point where we can't do that anymore. We, I think a lot of women in the industry would say that they haven't been able to ignore or blow it off since right. 2014. Right. Again, was, I'm a white dude, you know. Yeah. I, I'm privileged in that way that I don't have to deal with a lot of the crap other people have to. Uh, but now... Also, again, I think people are more comfortable like coming out and saying, like, hey, this is happening to me now. Yeah, that's true. They're so. not as afraid anymore because they know that the, there's a lot of people who are going to have their back, and I'm one of them. So, mm-hmm. But here's the question. Look, every, I think everyone's going to agree that this sucks, and nobody likes these gamers. Nobody wants mm-hmm. these people going out and making us all look terrible. I mean, these are the people who are upholding the stereotypes about gamers. They're the people who are upholding the stigmas around gaming in general. Most people who play games are sick of that crap and they want it to go away and these idiots are the ones who are keeping it around but the question becomes what can you do matt do you have any idea of what we've talked like i think the first year of game face we talked about online id and Mm -hmm. being using having to use your real name online um 
And I think over time, we've just realized that's probably never going to happen. So is there and even if it did, it doesn't matter. It really does. Like I think we've learned since then it doesn't matter. You've got people out there in the street screaming racist epithets at people on camera with their face uncovered. Like, you know, they have no problem like being seen. Like you saw like, you know, the, I think for a while they did trying to go viral now, honestly. Some of that. But like for, for a while, you saw like kind of comment sections shifting to using Facebook as sort of a login, so you had to use your real name. Didn't change anything. People are still horrible monsters. Even so you can still real create fake accounts on Facebook. Yeah, or they really do use their real name and they don't yeah, care. Yeah, oh, no, you're right. Like oh, I'm it, appalled it, by some of the stuff people post on Facebook with their real mm-hmm. names. I'm oh, yeah. like, really? <laughs> At least you're owning it, I guess. Now, I don't know what, I mean, I think basically the best you can do is sort of what she did. She said, I'm getting these, here are the messages I'm getting. This is great. And Neil Druckmann did the same thing. People have been sending him death threats and horrible anti-Semitic stuff and like, all you know the same thing like uh all over you know as ben affleck said in cha- in uh was it jay and silent bob strike back fictional characters you know it doesn't <laughs> it's um it's it's extremely weird i do not understand I, I even if somebody gets very involved in fiction and very it will argue with you about star wars all night if you let me um like getting so involved in this that you get angry at the people who played the characters or wrote the story for what happened. I mean, I'm angry at JJ Abrams for what he turned rise of Skywalker into, but I would never write him and tell him that. Like, <laughs> do you think you would have when you were like 13, maybe? No, like no. that's, that's not, that's not no, there's no relationship there. He didn't do it to personally insult me. Like that's what he was doing was not meant to make my life miserable. It just did because it was terrible, but it's not something that like, you know, I don't know. I guess I guess you have to have your identity wrapped up in these things a little more than I do in order to feel like you have had your your quality of life damaged to the point that you want to say something like that to someone who is a complete stranger and has nothing to do with deciding the content. And he, I mean, and it's I don't. And there's a lot of you know as as uh, evidenced by the messages she got. Like there's also just a ton of misogyny there. There's a yeah. ton of transphobia there. There's a ton of. Uh, just, you know, some of this is just the usual toxic, like, quote, anti-SJW bullshit that you see from all the people that are screaming about how everything's too woke and everything's too PC. And in reality, it's just like, yeah, they AKA, put it- I can't be an asshole anymore right. and get away with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Like, like, say it without being a PC. It's like, I hate that I can't insult women and minorities without being called yeah, on it anymore. Yeah. That's what that means. That's all that means. <laughs> oh, I know. And I like, know very well. I know you know, but like, it's just... <laughs> The people that are doing this clearly don't know, and uh, well, they think that we don't know. That's the thing. They don't. They think that they're sly, and it's like, no, we've mm-hmm. got you figured out, people. We've been dealing with your kind for way, way too long. But again, circling back around, what can we do? What can be done? Nothing. There's nothing that can be done, is there? Like you, go, you call them out when you can. You block them when they harass you. You call the police if they really do get like. That you know the credible threat becomes a credible threat, um, you know, and you just let people know what's going on. I think that's the best you can do, and then like let kind of the community react to it because obviously I've seen way more people saying like, "Hey, this is wrong. Stop doing that. This is bullshit." Than I've seen people saying like, "You know what? Those guys have a point." Like, I, you know, it's not a reaction you see much other than like every once in a while. I mean, I, I have seen it more for the, for the the backlash on Last of Us Two. I think than anything since probably the last Jedi where people will, would bring up like the horrible abuse that, that these, that the people involved in the production are, are suffering much like uh, Kelly Marie Tran with Rose Tico uh, and that kind of thing who's bullied off the internet basically because she didn't want to deal with it anymore. 
Um, and you see, you don't see in response, you see in responses mostly like, oh, this is terrible. Like she shouldn't be getting this kind of abuse. Neil, Neil shouldn't be getting this kind of abuse. But then you'll see like, you shouldn't be getting this kind of abuse, but the story is complete trash. And it's just like, <laughs> that is not a helpful contribution, sir. Um, there should be no but after the condemnation of the death threat and, and that kind of thing. It's just, I am, I'm still just shocked that so many people feel that way. I really am. Like, I don't, <laughs> I just can't even compute it. Like, how, what story in games do you think is better? Please share one, because I want to go play that game. Please. Like, I don't get it. I can understand I you saying, like, I didn't like what they did to the characters, or I didn't like this part of the plot or that plot. Calling it bad, that 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 does not compute. Well, also remember that there's no nuance on the internet. You know, it's like, it's not it's like, about... It's, yeah. it's a hundred or zero. Like, yeah. that's pretty much it. You either love like it you, or you hate it. Yeah, you can't like have any kind of midway conversation. It's like I thought this was not this isn't what I would have done, but like I see where you're taking it here as my and I know a lot of people that like you know one of the things that happens that everybody's mad about. I've seen some things where like people just stopped when it happened, didn't play any further, and I'm like, well, then you can't really critique the rest of the you, you can't even critique the game then, can you? Because you didn't see the it's like it's like turning a movie off because you didn't like. That you know what happened in the in the first act. Well, like, I, yeah, it, I saw people put up reviews like on Twitter, like their own like their own personal review, and being like, "I didn't finish," and I was like, "Then you can't say anything." Then what are you doing? Especially <laughs> yeah. on this game, you can't you can't give a review on a game without finishing it, especially one like this. Well, something yeah. like this game. I mean, something is so fully narratively driven, and something that like. You know, the ending of this game really matters. Like I've, I've been, you know, a couple people I know have been playing it, you know, now are now playing through it. And like some, you know, one of them keeps predict, trying to predict what, what's going to happen. And I'm like, you are not going to, <laughs> I keep turning into Luke Skywalker and Last Jedi. This is not going to go the way you think it is. You know, so it's, it, it's, I do love that line. You can yeah, use it so many times. <laughs> and it, you know, and, and like, it's, and it is funny because, like, you know, I was really rushing to try to get the game done in time to talk about it on Spoiled. And, um, and I was like, you know, I was hitting a point where I'm like, well, like I was talk, 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 texting Mitch, like, well, if I don't make it, like maybe I can just come in and talk about it. And like, I'll leave when you guys talk about the ending. And then once I finish it, I'm just like, yeah, if you haven't finished the whole game, your, your, dis- your, your opinion in that discussion is useless. Yeah. When you, you don't, you don't have that, the full context like, of it. Hmm, I don't know if he can really do that. I mean, he can, and with 99% be... of other video games, you could do that. Yeah, you could. You know? for the most part. Plenty of video games that are just like, okay, I played 40 hours of this. I got it. Like I'm good. But this, because it's so narratively driven and so uh, not necessarily inventive, but, but the, um, the watchword of uh, of this of Last of Us Two is basically withholding. Like they're withholding information because of the contextualization of the rest of the the story that you know is impacted strongly by telling you that information when it's appropriate. And very few anything's do that well, let alone just video games. Um, as I've said, I think it's a, one of the best examples of telling a story out of order I've seen in modern media. Um, and you may not like, although the I did end up getting confused. If you remember, it did end up confusing me a little bit. Cause remember I had forgotten the order of one of the events. Right. right. Um, but there's a, I mean, there's a lot happening. There so that's is, understandable. Yeah. I think, um, I, I am actually, I am not going to do it anytime soon. Cause there's other things to do. Ghost of Tsushima's right on deck and says that, but I am interested to play it again, knowing the whole story and to see what it plays like 
knowing things beforehand I am that I didn't know before. That. It does, <laughs> I it does play break. different. I mean, I haven't finished it on my second playthrough, but I got probably halfway. It's been like two weeks, halfway. Mitch. What are you doing? Come on. <laughs> are there hints like that you uh, didn't yeah. notice the first time? Yeah, there's things I definitely missed the first time, especially okay. understanding the relationships between the characters at that moment. Like even the mm -hmm. beginning is extremely different because of your the context of understanding actually things beating the game so i think it i think it is something that is worth playing a second time for that reason of understanding the storytelling but to go back to your point shane in regards to like what can we do you know matt did bring up a great point and i think just to piggyback on a little bit is when they did post the when um the actress i forgot her name now uh was it Lauren? Don't even give it because okay. maybe somebody goes and harasses her now. <laughs> gotcha. uh, but anyways, she when she posted them, uh, people in the community supported her by contacting those people and saying, what were you doing? And ended up one of them responded back to her her tweet and said, I apologize. That was inappropriate. I finished everything and I was doing it out of spite and I take everything back that I said and I completely apologize. <laughs> And at least, you know, so public they, shaming, you're saying may public work. shaming does work. I mean, and so, you know, and people do suffer consequences when this thing becomes public. If someone says a racist remark, they're going to lose their job. Potentially, there's many people that that happens to. And so the yeah. only thing you can do is make sure that the people that are doing these horrible things to other people suffer consequences that do hit home to them and understand that this is not OK. Because I think isn't. for the vast majority of them, though, there is no repercussions. They're using a burner account on Twitter. They're, I mean, the, the problem with Twitter is that it is really anonymous. Like, yeah, Facebook, I think Facebook, it's much more. Uh, Facebook is way more aggro yeah. in, in getting rid of fake accounts. In fact, I started an account for a sports website that would only take comments from Facebook. And I didn't want to use my normal Facebook account to make a bunch of sports comments and like bother people who are my friends on Facebook. So I started a fake Facebook account just to comment on the sports website. And within a month it was shut down. They somehow had figured out that it was a fake account. And I got an email said, this account's fake. Um, we're shutting it down. So Facebook's way better at that stuff than Twitter is. Twitter is just like the wild West, man. Like there's so many burner accounts. Like, yeah, even Fortunately, they have the tools to be able to, weed out those people for the for if you're getting the insults you have blocking but they don't muting. oh yeah you personally you, can't you personally block have, somebody yeah, yeah for not them mitigating the the interwebs of twitter i mean they give the people the power which is helpful to say like most people like someone like jason shire i've seen him have comments before especially with his conversation with some developers recently that he just states that if you're going to be saying these types of insults i'm just going to block you so it doesn't matter uh um, but it does. And I think it's inappropriate for what these people have said to not only this person, but other people. And that it's just not okay. I think the last the time I've seen is... something this big would have been uh, Mass Effect 3. I think that's probably mm -hmm. the last time where it hit major. And I think part of the pandemic has helped with this because people are at home and have nothing better than to do than be on Twitter all the time. I admit to it. I'm on Twitter more than I've ever been. Um, because I'm I, not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never really used Twitter that much anyway, though. So I guess it doesn't it doesn't really make a difference for me. Um, is it really is really though the answer to this just parenting? I mean, you got to start when you're young, raising your kids the right way. 
but it's some uh, degree. Not, it's, but yeah, there's a lot of these people are radicalized by weird YouTube speakers, and and they've just gone down this rabbit hole. Fortune, uh, just like kind of the weird alt right stuff that, like, you know, that that it claims to not be, but clearly is, is sort of a gateway to that. Um, it's very, it's it's insidious, and it's and it's hard to track, and it's hard to like know what your kid is watching all the time, especially in this world where everybody's online at all times. Um, and the irony of it is that like one of the core themes of the game is empathy uh, for the other, and like the people that are doing this probably need to hear that message more than any of the rest of us do. Yeah, um, sure. And they're just, it's, 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 it's cause fun, it's cause it's funny. Cause I was thinking about it while I was playing it, especially when in terms of the cult members of the two factions that, that you fight, um, they reminded me of these people. The Seraphites. Yeah. Like the Seraphites had some of that going on. You yeah. know, it was, uh, it was, it was clearly at least in part a response to that kind of mentality. And, um, or you can even relate to the current political climate of two yeah. sides that have misconceptions of each other of how they view things, or uh, and that there's this. I don't, I don't think there's too many misconceptions. Yeah, I think uh, it's pretty clear. Don't go any other direction, <laughs> frankly. But um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's part. I mean, that's just when you when they started working on this game, that would have been less polarized um, yeah. seven years ago. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, it's it, it it's funny to me that like a game that's so much about dealing with rage and hatred and empathy and and self reflection is being lambasted by people who really need to deal with all four of those things. So, so Vincent has an interesting quote in chat that I I'm struggling to understand. He says, "When people keep pushing their purity, don't be surprised when people lash out." Why? Why should I not be surprised if somebody lashes out because someone else is pure? I don't know. I don't know what that means either, frankly. Yeah, I don't understand what he means either. Uh, I won't accept that. It, do, it doesn't. It doesn't sound like a very positive thing to say, though. It definitely does not, and I will not accept that either. Um, I just won't. So, look, I. You're right kids eventually can get radicalized in a number of different ways. But I do think if you're a good parent, they're going to have that foundation. And I think that they will come back to that foundation. Eventually they may dip out of it for a little bit, but I mean, the truth is they've been indoctrinated and they've mm -hmm. been basically brainwashed to be good people, which in when you're talking about brainwashing, that's good, I guess. But the truth of the matter is, is that they have been brainwashed to be good people and eventually they will return to it. Whatever you're indoctrinated into as a kid, it is very hard to break away from for the rest of your life. It just uh, is. I, th I think it's a tricky, I think that's tricky to kind of, I, I blanket it in that way. I think it's, you know, it is a combination of nature and nurture at the same time of how people um, react to things or how they view things because... I, I, how many quotes uh, or how many times I've heard the quote of how did I raise you to be this way? It comes up so many times and it's, it's because the parent isn't there with them 24 seven. And so well, it's just like it's, I said, you dip out, you come back. I don't think they always come back though. It really depends on their viewpoint and how they I think this life. might be a perspective that you gain as you get a little older, maybe. No, I pretty much agree with Mitch. Really? Like plenty of people that have fallen well, victim to this. I can just tell you, I'm plenty dealing people... with some personal stuff right now. Sure. <laughs> that I would, sure. I, if I could be candid with you, I would vehemently disagree right now. Well, that's, I'm not saying it's universally true, but I'm saying a lot of those people, you never get them back. 
I, I can give you plenty of examples as well, personally, of I know that are older people that uh, don't go back or can't go mm-hmm. back or haven't been able to go back. And, you know, maybe... You mean that they've been altered later in life? Uh, that they've either been altered later in life or they've been altered early in their life and they just have never gone back. And uh, I, I don't understand why you're saying old people. I'm just I, saying I don't, that, I don't think the old people is relevant. I don't. Yeah, I don't I, see what that has to do with anything. I don't. Either. If you, if, Sorry, I'm just. Trying I'm to talking. Say, I'm talking. I'm talking to you, Shane. On that, I, I don't know what. It doesn't matter how old they are. What Mitch is saying is like if you lose some of the radical to radicalization, there is a good chance you are never getting them back. And, and I'm trying to say it doesn't matter what over. age it is. And it doesn't matter what age they are. It used to happen to older people more often because now it's easier to get to the the, the younger people because of YouTube and because of the internet and you know younger generations being extremely online, but. This same thing that Fox News did to old yeah. people. But, but so. look, I wasn't saying like you go from being a good person to being the grand wizard of the KKK. I was saying you're a good person who maybe dabbles in some things that aren't great, but eventually you come back to your center. I was yeah, saying I just, I just like, don't think you that's go a... from like being a good Christian kid to to part of ISIS that you're coming back. But if you are, let's say you were raised religiously and you in a certain part in your life you kind of reject it and you start drinking and partying most of those people end up going back to religion usually they hit rock bottom and they go crawling back to their church i mean that's just the way it is um, because unfair i think that's an unfair blanket statement i don't think it is that way then explain why i i think it's case by case everyone is different not everyone everyone experiences uh the hardships the same way and reverts back to whatever they feel is comfortable because but no one's talking in absolutes here mitch i never said every single person i said the majority of them and i do believe that the majority of them will it is very hard to fight what you were taught when you were a child it just is a lot of these people were embedded in your brain a lot of these people are simply enhancing what they were taught as children Mm -hmm. the misogyny is built in the racism is built in that's what i'm talking about built in that's what i'm talking about they were taught by their parents to be this way mm -hmm. they didn't just become that way um and that's why i say parenting is the key you have to start at the beginning you have to raise your kids the right way and teach them the right morals and they will have a foundation they may stray as they get older, but they will have a foundation for morality, and I don't think you'll see them doing stuff. Right, like but I'm saying that the, now. I'm saying that the people that a lot of the people that that are in that situation now, like what you're talking about, they were taught a lot of those values by their parents, and those parents would consider those to be values. Oh yeah, oh I know you're right. You're right. You know, like, oh yeah, there's tons of parents out there. They see their kids at a KKK rally, and they're like, "Damn, I raised him right. Damn right, I raised the an American." Block. <laughs> it's crazy, dude. Well, I guess, but I, again, they're teaching their kids to be bad kids, and they grow hmm. up to be bad kids. I mean, but they would never agree with that being bad. So it's like that's a very, it's a very hard battle to fight because you're basically saying like your ethos is wrong, and no one wants to hear that from anyone. You know? Yeah. And then there are people that are just really good at making it seem like they're a good person, and oh, in yeah. reality, they're not. And they just put on airs when they're around certain people, but in actuality, they're just bad. And I think sometimes those people are misdiagnosed as people who fell off. The truth is they were bad all along. Mm-hmm. They were just very good at hiding it. So I think that I think that's also what's happening here to some degree is as as the polarization and division gets deeper, um, you've got, you know, in the last four years, we've seen people suddenly think that they don't need to hide this kind of thing anymore and uh, then get very offended and freaked out when they get called on it or suffer consequences from it, of course. But um, I I think that's part of it is like a lot of this was always there and it was hidden for a long time. And now there's a bunch of people that are saying like, oh, I don't have to hide it. Or 
Yeah, and I think that is why, uh, and I've come kind of come more around to that idea in the last several years. Whereas, like, I think back near the beginning of Sifted, you and I agreed that, like, oh, if you make it more personalized and make it more like you have to post under your real name, you'll lose a lot of, you know, the, the anonymity, you know, the, the old uh, Penny Arcade, uh, you know, internet anonymity factor uh, idea. But yeah. I think as we've moved into this era of the last four years in Trump's America, basically. Uh, you've got these like people with these insidious, bigoted, bullshit opinions who think that it's okay to be that now, and they just kind of well, come out and when say you it. have the leader of the United States, right? That's <laughs> right, and and that's why I made the that's why I made the statement, Shane, of like calling out those people because now is the time that people think that's okay, and they're not mm-hmm. afraid to hide behind a fake name no longer. Well, I mean, a lot of them make, have never been afraid. I yeah. mean, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Dude, those people there don't care. They've uh, never I would cared. Say, yeah. I would say it's escalated, though. Like, they may have made, sure. like, an offshoot comment I'm not there every now know, and then honestly. where you would, like, say, okay, this person probably uh, is, is a racist of some capacity. Um, but uh, but I think now, more than ever, it's, it's to the point where people aren't afraid to, like Matt said, speak anymore. And so to, to fight this is to point it out to people and again have those people suffer consequences like some people lose their jobs because that's not something that the the business values fortunately I, thank god because that's the yeah. great thing to do yeah, I, I can't think, imagine I what it's like there now because it was bad it, back when i lived there in like the 90s and early aughts mm-hmm. and now i can't even imagine i mean i go there for christmas for a few days um, but when I lived there, it was it's, it's it was too oh, cold I mean, to be fun. out. So yeah, exactly, exactly. You're not really interacting. You got to get the quilted clan robes for that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, probably I'm you know, and and I think it's all kind of part of the same phenomenon that you end up with someone who feels that uh, they are you know wounded enough by the inclusion of non-white people or non-straight people in a video game they wanted to play. Uh, that they think it's reasonable to send a death threat to the person who was involved in that. Like it's like, I can't claim to understand the mentality, but I do see it as part of this ongoing evolving trend of like feeling like it's okay to have your worst instincts, worst opinions, worst behaviors right there on display as like your face to the world. Yeah. Um, like the masks are off, as they say, and I know that I know that it holds a little more relevance now in America today. But yeah. like, um, I mean, but Mitch that's was, also I think a lot of the same people doing that. Yeah, I think Mitch was probably right. I mean, the only real tactic that we have, other than good parenting, and we're not their parents, so we can't affect that change, is really just calling people out when they do it. Like whether yeah, you mean, say say something is really it's like you know and and I think as as you know white men especially older like we have uh, we you know, we like it or not societally our voices carry weight when someone who looks like these other people maybe is saying like no that's not okay like they're gonna listen more that's that's sort of a, that's a psychologically proven thing so that's why it's important for people. Before they uh, call you a traitor. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it depends who you run into. I mean, like sometimes <laughs> someone will back down. Sometimes it causes a problem. But I'm just saying um, we're a lot bigger than, like, say, Anita Sarkeesian if she was going to say something to somebody in the street. You know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, there is a physical element to it as well. But, yeah, I think that's all we can really do is just call it out when you see it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you look, you don't have to sink to their level when you do it. Um, you don't have to call them awful names. And you don't have to be toxic like no, they were. You, you say no. All that's you have to not do okay. is just let them know that it's wrong. That's all you have to do. Yeah. Be better than them. 
It's but not okay. It's wrong. People it's don't okay. deserve death threats for do for doing their their entertainment job. Their job. Imagine and, if I and let's not, let's, let's also be clear. The writer of the game doesn't deserve that either. Like yeah. that is not the, you know it's not. It's and the also art. says encouraging um, the people who are targeted could help as well. Yeah. He's right. He's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, you have to let the people who are being targeted know that there are other people back. Who, who are there for them. Yeah. Yeah. The, the support is more important in a lot of cases than the condemnation of the of the attack. Absolutely. I'm sure all of us have been really down at a point in our lives. And you probably remember that one person that came to you or took the time to talk to you that made the difference that got you over the hump. These are real people. These aren't just ones and zeros on the internet. And uh, and that's what happened in this situation was uh, people reached out to her and supported her. Even developers, yeah. uh, developers, Neil Druckmann, everyone reached out and retweeted and just said, this isn't okay and we're here to support you. So I And remember that like, you know, this kind of creative work, especially when you're doing the mo-capping and doing the performance capture and all that as well. Like this is a this is an emotionally raw job that these people have. And you put yourself out there and you put yourself emotionally and sort of ego-wise on the line. Uh, I mean, you may have to make yourself vulnerable to get good performances out of things, especially in terms of like these harrowing emotional arcs that these characters go through in this game. And like having someone kind of come at you toxically like that after having done that is, you know, you're, she's more, you know, whether she likes it or not, whether anyone in that situation likes it or not, you're more vulnerable to that because you have put, you know, part of yourself on in there. If and you're a creator, it makes it even worse. Yeah. If you're a creator, you're always vulnerable. And that was one of the hardest things for me to get over working in entertainment was mm -hmm. always being a target that you could work so hard on something and dedicate so much of yourself to it and be so proud of it. And then you give it to the world. And the first person says it sucks. Yeah. But <laughs> like also the other thing is like, it's I've, devastating. I've it's poked around a bit on like criticisms of the, you know, like negative reviews or criticisms of the game. I have yet to see anything particularly coherent in terms yeah, of criticizing it. Like, it's just, I don't like thing or I which, don't like, you, I, just, I didn't imagine it was going to be yeah. like this, which is fine. You don't have to like it, yeah. but don't pretend that that's cogent criticism. And don't pretend that that means it sucks because right. it doesn't mean it sucks. It just means that you don't like it. <laughs> that's, yeah. There's a big, big difference. Uh, okay. Let's move on to another topic. That's really depressing for most people. Uh, this week, Take two announced oh, that. I, I forgot about this. I thought you're going on to the next one. No. I was like, why is that depressing? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that great, but it wasn't depressing. Like, no, this story is depressing. So this week, Take Two announced that the next gen versions of NBA 2K21 will cost $70. Uh, and following up on that, as that story broke, we started seeing reports from people who said, I just filled out a survey from EA that asked me about that. Or I just talked to a Ubisoft rep who was asking me about $70. So this isn't an anomaly. This isn't just take two. This is, depending on how people react to this, and I'll say this as well, it may be too late already now, this could become a permanent thing. And at this point, I'm leaning towards it is going to become a permanent thing because the news went out and there was really no outrage. Um, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing or anything like that. But the truth is, is that when the news came out, there was an outrage from consumers and gamers. And that is what the whole industry was watching for. They're like, oh, wow, Take-Two is going to do it. Let me get my popcorn and see how people react to it. 
And the truth is most people were just like, eh, it's okay. Like I ran a poll on my Twitter account and like the first, uh, the first option was I get it. And that was, it won overwhelmingly. Um, so it, it appears that obviously the people who follow me on Twitter are like the hardest of the hardcore gamers. They're not even casual gamers. They're hardcore gamers. So the hardcore get it. They're like, you know what? I've heard enough horror stories about crunch, um, about relationships being broken, about people being broken, developing games that I can recognize that, you know what? They may need a couple, like 10 extra bucks for each game. If, and if I think a lot of people too are looking at it from the perspective of, you know what? If I can give them 10 bucks and it'll keep like 300 families from being put through the ringer for 18 months, then I think I'm okay with that. And I, I love it. It's so great to see people being so positive around something that really is good for most of them is going to be a detriment to them. Um, mm -hmm. So I was, you know, I I'm glad that we have this topic in here because we talked earlier about toxic gamers and how we'd like to get rid of them or we wish we they would just leave. But there's the other side of the coin. There are a lot. Of, in fact, the vast majority of players are amazing people. Amazing. 98% of the people who have joined Sifted have been amazing people. Like there have been so few bad people that I remember them all, all of them. So overall, like I don't want this show to come off as like, oh, they think gamers are blah, blah, blah. I love gamers. There's just a very small segment of them that are screwing it up for everybody else. And I think this topic showed you that a lot of players are extremely conscientious. They care about the people who are crafting the art for them and they want those people to be well. So cheers to all of you who voted for that. Um, I was really surprised. Were, are you surprised by that reaction, Matt? Um, I mean, not especially, I guess. Uh, I do think it's a little disingenuous to think that is what's happening here because that money is not going to be passed on to the level designers and the yeah. texture artists. Like that's just the publisher is going to get more for their, their bottom line. And that's the end of it. It's also, as I didn't think of it necessarily because I don't play NBA 2k. Obviously I just put it in my fantasy team for free points. <laughs> um, some, I mentioned like this when that news broke and someone's like, why would NBA 2k of all things be doing that? Because aren't they like one of the worst microtransaction offenders? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. They are like of all the games that doesn't that maybe would need to be able to make it up through microtransactions. It would be NBA 2K. But like, if this is just the standard price for games going forward with the next generation, like that just might just be how it, how it rolls. I say, um, I'm surprised we made it this far. Yeah. Without the price hike. I mean, with the 2005 games, is yeah, when the games have been 60 bucks for 15 60. years. They have never been cheaper uh, in terms of like be bang for your buck and how much the buck. I mean, because remember, yeah, you look at inflation. Yeah, you look at inflation. Back in 1988, 89, you bought an NES game for 50 bucks. You maybe finished that thing in an hour, right? Yeah. Like, you know, 50 bucks in 1989 dollars is like a hundred and hundred dollars now. <laughs> a lot. It's like yeah. about double now. Yeah. Um, you remember, I, and you know, don't forget, uh, cartridge games were more. I mean, I know like it's yeah. not it's a little bit apples to oranges or extra like, RAM or anything. I went out when uh, Fantasy Star 4 came out, I went out and I paid 99.99 for that, which Some I think has expensive. to work out to about 160, 170 dollars into that 2020 money. So, like, yeah. It, they used to be way more expensive and they used to be much less for what than what you get now. And oh, yeah. uh, I mean, you get I, games now, you pay 60 bucks, you can play them for the next yeah. three years. And I think the, um, I think the kind of death of the microtransactions, I mean, the microtransactions are still there, but they are not the 
end all be all business model that publishers were hoping they were going to be at the beginning of this generation. Uh, Games as a service seems to be kind of flaming out a little bit, even destiny, which that was their whole model is seems to be have moved on to like, why don't you just give us like 50 bucks for the next expansion and we'll just call it even, which is much more (laughs) of a, much more of a traditional model when you think, you know, that's, that's the old PC model really um, for buying expansion packs. Um, I do think, is it beyond light? Is that the name of the new thing? The new one Uh, thing, the new destiny Two expansion i believe so 70 bucks for the deluxe version of that seems like a lot yeah for an expansion you think (laughs) but um if if that's you know if we're gonna hike the price by 10 bucks moving forward especially with the inflations and budgets if that is kind of the reaction to like well you won't let us charge you for loot boxes then i guess we'll just do this fair yeah matt do you think that they're trying to so as you said the money's not going to trickle down to the developers and i agree with that a, a billion percent so the publishers obviously believe that they need to charge more money per game do you think it's because the publishers want to build bigger games that live on longer like games as a service do you think that they've become so expensive to develop almost prohibitively expensive that they're too big of a risk and the publishers don't want to take it anymore I think that's part of it. I also think that like, you know, I think we've, we've seen definitively that you can't count on a game as a service to be around as long as your, you know, budgetary projections indicate it needs to be to make the money you want. Um, it's better to, I think it's going to always prove to be better that like you make the game, you release the game, you make your money in in the first like month, two months, of release, then that's everything else is gravy. That's the model. And with the with the budgets going up and up and up, tacking an extra ten bucks on the on the MSRP, like that seems to be the safest bet in terms of keeping your your you know your studios in the black, and in terms of you know coming up with something that is more upfront and not as devious and not as um, frowned upon as microtransactions because. Um, I think a lot. I think most people would rather pay the extra ten bucks at launch than to feel like they're getting nickel and dimed by things that could otherwise already be in the game. Do you think not, that, that stuff will go away if they charge an extra ten bucks? I think that depends on the publisher. Like, I don't do, think it will. Man. Like, do I, I think, think that they're just going to keep double dipping? <laughs> I think it depends. Like, I think I think most of Sony's stuff will continue to not have yeah. that kind of thing in it. I think yeah. if uh, you know, I think EA. EA might get a little gun shy about it. I'm 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 kind of holding back to see how Squadrons does, um, and I'm interested. I I wish I could say I'm holding back to see what other games they're going to put out, but I can't think. There of aren't any. <laughs> well, Madden and FIFA. Madden and FIFA. I mean, they're I the worst of them. Guaranteed. All. Yeah, sports games I think are a lost cause. <laughs> they're never. It's never coming back, man. And ever. Yeah, maybe the new Need for Speed. I don't know. Probably. And the, I guess the other uh, kind of canary in that coal mine would be we will see what, if it ever actually happens and gets finished, uh, what the revamp of Anthem looks like. Yeah. Which will probably be would, like a year from now, somewhere like yeah, that. Yeah, like it would be, like I would be interested. I'm interested to see what they do with that because however they reinvent Anthem is probably a pretty good model for how EA thinks they need to act yeah. going forward. Because they've taken all the data from that game. I mean, it's their biggest gas. Um, yeah. And so they've used all the data from that to reshape that game. I agree with you 100% that that data, that information, that perspective is going to shape EA's future products. Guaranteed. Um, big thanks to Tiny2K, who has been lighting up the chat with uh, emotes. JMRain99 has been giving us a bunch of, bunch of cash. You guys are freaking awesome. We're at level four of the hype train already, and we got like an hour to go. You guys are awesome. 
Um, Mitch, how do you feel about $70 games? Do you have any strong feelings either way? It's ridiculous. It's it should not. You mean you're upset or you just I'm don't upset. care that I I oh. I think people may not reacted to this as big as you thought, Shane, because people have bigger things to worry about. And uh, so they did say people are all over Twitter, though. People are all <laughs> over Twitter, but it, but that they're complaining news, about more important things. Yeah. They, like I the mean, plot of The Last of Us Part Two. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> but even though like those are. Yes, but at the same time, I think the exposure of this news story did not get to the the heights of what The Last of Us Part Two has gotten. It was on CNN. This story was on CNN. I saw it on CNN.com. But like I, but on Twitter, where like yeah, I don't I'm know. Getting, I don't spend it, enough it time. It wasn't there. really there. Like you posted it. I think nobody cared. We, we tweeted it, it on Sifted, and like three people replied to it. But it I, was I, around. But it's just I. I think. Uh, I'm interested to see if it is, in fact, the new price point. Yeah. I'm interested, I, I just, to, I'm interested to see what happens when people actually have to put their money down on the table, cause basically. Because I'm really nervous to do so. Like, I, I may have to pass on more games because I can't afford it. And now, even in this economy that people are in, how are people going to afford $70 Probably not the right time games? to jack up the yeah, price why of the anything. Why are you jacking yeah. up to $70 <laughs> when a vast, was it 20% are unemployed still in the United yeah. States? That's like your landlord and, jacking up your rent when the whole building's empty. Well, some people are <laughs> have to worry about rent at the end of this month. Like, oh, that's, they're, that's, they're freaking out right now. Yeah. I mean, there was I, just millions of people who didn't pay rent well, and yeah, maybe and thrown top, out onto the street. Well, and on top of that, after this month, the federal addition to your unemployment goes away, like for myself. Yep. So money is going to be extremely tight to the point where it makes me put a lot of questions in my mind about things. And so yep. the last thing I can do is even afford $60 games to like try yeah. to play stuff going into the future until I can get a job. And that becomes really difficult. And, yep. and, and so I think, you know, when you're getting near that, like $50 was fine. And I, and I grew up on $50 games. I didn't we all add, did. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I like, but when, uh, when you guys said like your experience was like an they didn't hour go to for sixty until two thousand five. Sure, no, I get you, but I, I th you guys were saying when you guys played when you guys were younger, it was like you were playing fi paying fifty dollars for like a one hour experience. Here, I grew Most up. Most games were fifty bucks. The only ones that were more were carts that had either like an ex extra RAM in them or had like an extra chip or. The game was so big that they needed to buy a bigger car with more silicon yeah, to hold I all get the data. That, but that's not my my point. Is like the 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 value of the dollar has changed in regards to amount of time you're playing usually, or the quality of the game you're getting has changed. Uh, I mean, your in entertainment your, per dollar yeah, for games. For for yeah. me, it's been an established been like this throughout my entire time for you guys it's fluctuated extremely between the the time of when you guys played games when you were young i mean i wouldn't say that mitch no. i wouldn't i wouldn't say that either i i think the there were exceptions the, there's expensive been, games were exceptions. The, the most important price shift in games in the last generation has been the move to have multiple price points because that's the thing is is the idea that you could you can launch indie games at like ten or fifteen or twenty dollars now, or you can put squadrons out at forty dollars? You put that kind of thing, um, or Iron Man. Iron Man VR was like forty, that kind of thing. Uh, that was very unusual back in say like ninety nine, like the PS two era or whatever. Maybe you'd have a ten dollar difference here and there between like a fifty dollar game and a forty dollar game, depending on like what you were buying. Um, but the idea that you can charge less for a more boutique experience is 
a new thing. And I think that helps mitigate that because even when you're looking at, you know, you never quite knew what you were getting. Like you could get a, a, a hundred hour RPG for 50 bucks on the, on the, you know, the PS one and the Dreamcast, or you could get a 10 hour survival horror game. Like you know, yeah. it, it could go either way. Um, and 50 bucks on the Dreamcast, the, you know, the Dreamcast came out, it's still 76 bucks now. Um, you know, it, it, which is more than what we'd be paying on the, on the new price. And uh, I, I just think that like at worst, the price has pretty much remained consistent in terms of the purchasing power of the dollar. Yep. We just hit the hype train, Max. Level five. Thanks to everybody. Croak gave us 200 bits. Tiny2K just gave us more. Croak gave us... Oh, they're going back and forth now. You guys are awesome. Thank you, guys. Every single one of those bits makes a difference for us. So now, I, th I think the... Uh, I think that uh, if you want... Uh, tangentially from what Mitch is saying, I think you can make the argument that while the, the value of the, of the dollar kind of has made the price of video of the high end video games pretty consistent for the last 50, 20, 25 years. Um, the, I, the, the, the timing of it is the interesting element there because yes, this doesn't really seem like the year to start asking for 10 bucks more for your luxury entertainment product, considering what people are going through, especially in the U S and potentially um, the high price we're going to pay for these consoles. That like that's too. the other factor. Um, we well, that just play. makes Game Pass an even more attractive thing, yeah. really, when you think about it. Um, but like that is sort of that ties into the whole things like because why yeah, it's my whole thing about this is not going to the level designer. This is because these giant publisher corporations need to keep their bottom line up and they, they need to keep that infinite growth curve happening that has come to like kind of define how kind of general capitalist expectations work in terms of of retail sales and in terms of kind of the sale of luxury items and, and desirable things like this, especially in the entertainment world. I mean, look at, look at how movies seem to always expect that, Oh, you made $200 million on the last one. Well, the sequel better make 250 million opening weekend kind of thing. So I think to some degree, like one of the reasons you're seeing this happen now is to, is that they, you know, these giant publishers are feeding this unrealistic exp I'm turning to Jim Sterling. Now you're feeding this, you're feeding this unrealistic <laughs> expectation in the triple A space. <laughs> Sounds and like, like that's the, Enix with a Tomb Raider. It didn't that's sell the enough. real question. It didn't like, sell yeah, enough. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's the real question. There is like you're talking about the justification of the time the developers spend and the budgets they cost, but the real question is like you're just trying to pad your stats to the shareholders, and you're passing that expense on to the consumer. And if you're mad about that. I completely get it. That's that's yeah. more of mine. Like I know it's not going to go to the people that really are building the game. It's not going to raise their wage. And heck, wages haven't increased to the point to match this jump in price. So it's mm -hmm. basically you're asking for an extra expense of the consumer and not really matching the the value it was at sixty dollars when it was back ten ten years ago. And I think if you uh, if you if the companies do use the justification of like, well, we want to treat our employees better and have less crunch. So that's going to take more development time, which is more money. So we have to charge more money for the game. Fine. But we better see some transparency on yeah, that. Yeah, you better show it. Yeah, yeah. You better sh yeah, show, show your, your work. work with that. <laughs> exactly. Yep. I so, guess the question I would have then <clears> is, <throat> you know, EA was the only one to do this so far. Like... Is it, and they said specifically it's because it's for the the next generation one they're building it from the ground up. Do you think? And yet maybe, having fewer bells and whistles in it. Yeah, which is, which weird. is even weirder. But uh, do you think like someone like Sony or Microsoft may just say we're going to do sixty dollars still? Will that change the market again to say seventy dollars and EA will have to go back down to sixty? 
Well, you'd have a big advantage if you lowered your price of your mm -hmm. game. I don't sure. think it would force them to lower because there have been disparities in what's priced what. Like that was certainly in play with the N64. Like, you know, Nintendo games are usually about 60 bucks and like third party games tended to be 70 or 80. Uh, part of that was to offset the cost of having to buy the cartridges from Nintendo. Yeah. Um, and but then for a while, a similar thing was happening where you had to license the discs from PlayStation on the PlayStation One. You didn't even print your own. You had to send stuff in, and, and Sony made the discs. For Tecmo. You. Tecmo had the lock on like CD-ROM production for a long time. Tecmo, in Japan. Yeah. And they were almost like a mafia organization in the gaming industry for a long time. They and somehow like, locked down the rights to that manufacturing, and mm -hmm. they were shaking down the whole Japanese gaming industry. It's uh, it, so there's a lot of weird stuff behind that, but like uh, so, it's it. I would not be necessarily surprised to see Sony keep their first party stuff at sixty. I think everything's um, going to go seventy. But I think odds are, but game. odds are that would be <laughs> odds are that would be temporary. Like yeah. you would see after the first, you know, big multi-million, like oh, just like the old price point seller. At the $70 price point, you will see everyone kind of jump up. And I, I also think that you'll see current gen stuff stay at 60. Yes. Even if it, even yep. if it works on the new yep. systems. Absolutely. Yep. But 70 will kind of be a differentiator to tell the consumer this is a next gen product. Yeah. So they're going to they, try so, to use that angle. Right. They're going to try to make that seem, <laughs> make it seem more, more desirable. Yeah. The more expensive it's thing hilarious. must be better. Right. Yeah. That's the consumer perception. It's so, funny, but you're right. That that's exactly what's going to happen. That's going to be the psychological trick they want to use on like well, the mainstream consumer to us. They'll say the thing about treating developers better, but to the person in like, you know, shopping at target, they're going to, they're going to hope they see the $70 version of Madden and be like, Oh, that must be way better. Well, they I think for all it. next gen games are going to be 70 bucks now that they've put this out there hasn't been an uproar i guarantee all the publishers are like yep thank god and here we go an extra 10 bucks for every product we sell that's huge mm -hmm. i mean think about that how many products can you think of that when they release a new version the price of them goes up like 30 yeah. percent or whatever and as for microsoft like um well i can think of plenty of cell phones that's um, true. Yeah, any I, Apple cell phone for sure. Yeah. And yeah. Blu-rays. Blu-rays are way more expensive than DVDs were. Yeah, I, um, would, I would say maybe the other thing is, you know, it might be people are not as uproared on this too is because there's been such a crazy tier model anyways with current-gen hardware. You have the you have the regular edition, but then you have the the deluxe edition and the collector's edition. And I, think I've, I think over the last five years, I've seen more options of different editions where prices go already beyond a hundred dollars no way, uh, beyond. way beyond. Oh, yeah. some of them are like 250 bucks right. so it's, it's gotten to the point <laughs> yeah. where i think people some people may have already been starting to buy games at 70 dollars. i'm curious well, a lot of people, people have are, yeah. but well, i well, have so, somewhere there's people there's people listening to this in australia that are just laughing their asses off or in prices England, elsewhere are crazy yeah, yeah because they've been paying 70 or 80 for games for like five well, canada. years canada, canada pays if it goes up for, for them too that will be it will question. i think that, I think it would be a universal hike. Yeah. Uh, and I, I also I just think it's a busy year. 2020 is relentless. Um, and I think we will see more uh, widespread and louder opinions in line with Mitch's as the rubber starts to hit the road. When they actually as, have to plunk as you have to, as you have to plunk yeah. down the pre-order for these things, like people go to buy that PlayStation 5 on Amazon, they want to buy Spider-Man for it. And maybe not Spider-Man, that might be a, a lower price game, but they want to buy let's go crazy. Let's say someone wants to buy Godfall for some reason. <laughs> and, and they're going to say, wait a minute, why is Godfall $69.99? Yeah. Because so, they're, they're all $69.99 now, son. Like, yep. so that's and they'll be like, I'm just going to keep using my PS4. And that kind of sticker, <laughs> that sticker shock, I think might be more reflected on Twitter. 
uh, yeah. as we move forward. As we get with closer the, to it. And with the cross-gen, it might be that they just buy last-gen's model and put it in their PS5. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people are probably assuming what Mitch was assuming, that this is an anomaly, like not necessarily the rest of the industry is going to adopt it. So maybe they're not been out of shape yet because they don't mm. really understand the full sort of thrust no, of it. I think this is definitely the tip of the iceberg. I think this is, this is I don't, I don't want to say testing the waters because it doesn't seem like it's fully intentional. But um, it does. Th there's way too much smoke here for the, there to be no fire. Yep. All right. Let's move on to our last topic of episode 219. We're going to talk about probably what the biggest is the biggest game release of the week. And believe it or not, it's a freaking VR game. We're going to talk about Marvel's Iron Man VR, a PlayStation VR exclusive. You cannot get this on Oculus Rift or Vive. Um, I have not played it. I will tell my story briefly of why I didn't play it. Um, as you guys, if you watch HQ, you knew, you know, I've been cleaning out cabinets here at my home. Um, I actually like packed away my PlayStation VR, totally didn't get like the ping in my brain. It's like, wait a minute, Iron Man's coming. And uh, then Iron Man was here and I started thinking about having to dig it out and take everything out that I had just very meticulously placed in there. And I was like, no, because then I started thinking about mm -hmm. motion sickness and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, Matt has played Iron Man's VR for the show. Um, Matt... You're a big Marvel Iron Man guy. Does this do that IP justice? Um, more or less. Um, I mean, there's always going to be a disappointment with any kind of Iron Man adaptation when it's not Robert Downey Jr. Um, because he just defines he the is. character. Yeah, absolutely. And they're doing their, they're trying in this, but it just, you know, it, it feels, um, uh, it just feels like uh, that Simpsons where the, where the, the, um, Shelbyville uh, version of the Simpsons or the kind of the off-brand equivalents. Like, so if, sometimes it feels like that. Like the guy doing the voice of Tony is is pretty good, but he's not Downey Jr. And like, they're kind of like Pepper is sort of like Pepper in the movies, but not. And like, I Friday think she was closer than him, though. Just yeah. from watching the trailers, she seems closer at least. It's it's just it's you know, and they're kind of trying to they're they're doing a, an original story which. Um, Mm, like, like there's no. <laughs> what is the story, Matt? So, uh, I mean, the beginning is very Iron Man origin-y where basically you're you're you play a prologue where he is giving up his his um, status as a as a war as a weapon designer. Like he's, okay. he's basically he's he's it's early in his Iron Man career. He's just started being Iron Man, and he's decided to, that Stark Industries is no longer going to make weapons. So think think of kind of the midpoint of the first movie. Okay. Um, and uh, as part of this, he uh, he deactivates uh, the gunsmith, who is this AI that he uses to design the weapons. So the gunsmith is a holographic, it's a little disc, and you press the button on it, and it spits out a red hologram of Tony. So gunsmith is basically Tony with the safeties off. Like, he's even more obnoxious than Tony. He's like... <laughs> He's like even more like he hits on everything around it. Like he's basically Tony as pure id who designs all these horrible weapons and stuff. And he basically says like, you know, so we're retiring you. I'm basically going to lock you up in your little AI thing and you'll have internet access. So you'll be able to like surf the web forever. But you're basically going to go to retire to a tropical island. And he's like, all right. I mean, that sounds pretty cool. Sure. And they, so they do that. And then it jumps like five years later. And Tony's been Iron Man the whole time. He's a superhero. Everybody knows Iron Man. Um, he's been doing stuff all over for you know with the Avengers and everything, presumably. 
Um, there's a lot of uh, you see a lot of other references to Marvel characters in uh, in the environment. So presumably the entire Marvel universe is out there somewhere. And over the course of um, of of the scene that this happens, you're you're basically on one of his planes and you get attacked, and you're being attacked by Stark drones that have not been manufactured for five years. And essentially, somebody has gotten hold of his old war designs and um, uh, is attacking people with it as, as a means of manufactured the yeah as a means of revenge for all the people who died at the hands of Stark's weapons, which is very similar to the movies plots and, and kind of like yeah. that whole thing about that. Uh, he is a warmonger and he's never paid for what would be his war crimes, basically. And to combat this, because the, the drones are upgraded with like tech they've never seen before. And uh, so to combat this, he reactivates Gunsmith. Mm. And so sort of the story is like, um, he is, Gunsmith is back and designing all these new weapons, which is how, how you get the upgrades for your suit. So you can upgrade the weaponry in the suit and all this stuff, which is pretty neat because you can design different loadouts. And some of it is actually meaningfully different, which I was a little surprised by. And, um, and the, so the story is kind of like trying to stop uh, these, this, whoever this new, this new uh, threat is, trying to figure out who, who the new threat is. And um, sort of balancing the idea of like becoming a weapons manufacturer again to fight fire with fire, but can you do that without corrupting yourself? And there's sort of a mystery around like who the big bad is, but it's really obvious who the big bad is. Like uh, right so, from the beginning? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. From the very first time, it's like the big bad is sort of like reference, <laughs> it's brought in reference. I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> I mean, obvious. I knew I figured, but yes. Okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's a couple of like little, little throw, throws in like the the first villain that kind of assaults you is a, is a known character, but I don't know if it's really her. Um, okay. And it, it's that kind of thing. Um, the real the real draw is flying around as Iron Man in VR. Like yep. the story is actually pretty heavy. Really, in terms of, like there's a lot of story. And Does narration. it carry you through the whole game? No. Because um, <laughs> okay. well, here's the thing: like it's not bad. It's like kind of decent Marvel comic level story. Like if it was a it was a it was like a direct to DVD or direct to Disney Plus animated thing, I'd probably watch it. It's right. fine. Um, the thing about it, so like the the gameplay is actually pretty well. And here's the thing that I think in terms of you saying like digging out, I did actually have to dig out my PSVR from storage and all, and the fucking <laughs> motion the 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 motion controllers, whatever the they're move called, controllers, move controllers. I I hadn't looked at those since I moved three years ago, so I had to find where I put those, and then I had to charge them up for a day because they were all dead. I and bought two the, of those, and I have used them once. Literally, just, I bought them like two years ago just for PlayStation VR, and I used them once. I bought them during the PS3 era because I wanted to play House of the Dead. Because uh, I because you could use them for House of the Dead and like the the light gun games, and I wanted to play those again. I did that for one afternoon and never did it again. <laughs> but, I realized uh, yesterday I've probably played my PlayStation VR for a grand total of probably around 50 hours mm. i think you might have more more hours than that than i do really yeah oh i thought that was terrible matt i was like i, I, think, I, think, it, I think it is hours. i think it is terrible but i'm saying you're probably still ahead of me <laughs> wow well you do have other i do have the, i get the vive but i also yeah. haven't used the vive in three years since i've yeah. moved so good good money choice there <laughs> um Here's the thing, like, and I thought about this while I was hooking the whole thing up and, and plugging all the wires in and charging the controllers and syncing the controller. I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of doing this for a seven out of ten. Yeah. Like that's the thing, is like this game is like fun. And that's good for yeah. a PlayStation VR game. That's like game of the year material for yeah. PlayStation VR. <laughs> so the way it works is you have the motion controllers, they have the move controllers, and they basically for are your hands. And so you can rotate them and you see your hands and your chest in front of you. 
and like you hold the triggers on them to fire the, the rockets. And so whichever direction you're holding your hands, that's the direction you're thrusting with the rockets. So that's how you fly. Um, you can kind of steer yourself by looking. So you can kind oh, of like by, by looking around with the headset, it's kind of like you'll, you'll affect up, down, slight left and right. And then if you want to rotate in place, you can completely turn around, but you'll get wrapped you up in the hover, cord. You can just hover, right? Yeah, you can hover, but you can, you can wrap, you get wrapped up in the cord doing that. So there is an auto turn with the, the, the top buttons on the thing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. Okay, I was going to ask about <laughs> that because there's a shutter, like there's like a shutter moment when you look to the side in the B-roll and I was wondering if there's a button you're pressing that changes the angle of the view. Yeah, you hit the, the top two buttons. I don't remember which ones they are, but like you hit those those on either one and you'll turn left and right and you can set it so either you you kind of fade out and pop, you know, like it's an instant cut kind of or you can set it to be smooth turning. Smooth turning is more likely to cause motion sickness, um, yeah, but I, but that's the one I use because I don't get motion sick. Um, but there are moments in this game. I know I know you said they said it would be better for motion sick people, but there have been a couple of moments in this game. Like if I was prone to motion sickness, I know that a couple of these things would have made me really. Uh, you can feel it pushing sick. on you a little bit. I just a little bit like oh that was, that made me gave me a little vertigo. And oh, like then things, it would crush me. Dude. Things that, yeah, things that give me vertigo like are like destroy me, destroy people that are susceptible <laughs> to things. Like that. Absolutely. So yeah. you do, you can do that. So you can actually fly around at will. Like you like so you're. Is it you're, like it's not an open world though? No, it's like you you're it's in big open spaces though. Big so chunks. It's like, like a big area you can fly around in. So like, like there's the area of his mansion on the in Malibu coast. There there's like a Shanghai area. You know, it's like where yeah you know, there's a. There's a bunch. There's a VR course you can go on. There's a there's a mid, there's a Pacific Ocean you know, thing. Man, I'll say one thing. Looking at footage of this game, and I hate to say it, it looked like Superman '64. It doesn't look that bad. No, uh, I don't mean like graphic. Oh, flying through the rings and stuff. Yes. So those are the flight courses. Those are like the training courses. Um, one of the problems I have with the game is they make you do that too much. Um, when you're fl- when you're in like the combat it's in a, stuff, a lot it's in cool. the trailers and stuff. I was like, that's the early stuff, and I'm probably not trying uh, to spoil things. But like gotcha. when you're flying around and like doing the actual combat missions, it's very Iron Man. So like oh, you, okay. to, to shoot the repulsors, you hold you hold the thing up so it holds your, your palm that's out. That's why I whispered. And you and you hit the <laughs> you hit the the top button and it shoots that. And then like if you you have special weapons that are in the wrists. So to use that, you hold it down so you're pointing the wrist up, and then that'll activate that, and you lock on with that. And it feels all—it all feels pretty good. It feels like, it good, all, right? I mean, yeah. most people have said it. It feels like you're Iron it feel, Man. It feels like Iron Man. Like, like it, yeah. it, they nailed it. Now, um, and but here's the problem, um, and I haven't said this in a very long time. The load times kill this game dead. <laughs> wow! Like I kill it dead. It is astounding. It, like, wow! Like two, three minute load times. And that's just Two or the three bar. Minutes. And that's just the bar for so like imagine this. Like so between missions or chapters or missions or whatever you want to do, you have to sit there and look at the load screen and watch the thing slowly fill up, slowly fill up. So for like a two two minutes felt like two three minutes, two and a half minutes maybe some of the bigger levels. And then almost inevitably it cuts to like a black screen with a kind of falling dust and Tony is like narrating something that is like some kind of like uh, yeah, it's supposed to be some kind of like introspective thing, but you really like you can tell it's stalling for more load time because it's they just loaded a meaningless screen with audio, and then you'll hear the the suit sort of booting up before it even cuts to anything, and then finally it'll cut in, and it still does the load in with like the the the, the HUD popping up and everything. Yeah, and I'm like, this is all co- it's all covering load time. It's all it's like, and I don't know why it's taking so long to load this thing. Why it's, it's not, not even not an open world game? Much. Yeah, it That's really isn't. Crazy. And there's things where like. 
like so at the very the first big mission not the, the prologue where they familiarize you with the controls out by the malibu mansion but then like the first ch- real mission is you're trying to, to you end up jumping out of the plane and you have to save the plane and shoot some drones and stuff but as you jump out you you're just telling you don't have the armor on and you have to like get, get catch up to the armor and like the armor like jumps on like in the movies it jumps on your wrist and then it jumps yep. on your feet and the last thing to hit you is the, is the helmet it's so like you're all you're suiting up. It's like bang, 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 bang. The mu- music's going hit big. You're about to finally be able to you're fly. Like, yeah, Iron the, the, Man. The fucking helmet hits you in the face. Black load screen for like a minute. <laughs> like like the momentum's oh, just gone, just man. gone. And it's oh. it, and that happens like so like the the bits I'm talking about where you're playing is Tony, where you're just sort of like in his mansion talking to the characters or like upgrading. They're like that stuff is stops everything dead. And like yeah. it's been criticized a lot in the reviews I saw. And I'm like, you know what? I don't like those parts either, but the reason I don't like them is because it took me two minutes to load in and out of them. And if yeah. they were more instantaneous, I would not, because like, I don't usually mind load times. Like if a load screen comes up, I look at my phone, I do something yeah. up, but I got a VR headset on. All I can do is look at the fucking yeah. black screen. Somebody you know, in chat just anything. said there should never be blank screens in VR games. Absolutely. Like it's because like you have Sheaky to keep the experience going. Yeah. And like, I'm sitting in here, I got contacts in, I can only wear those for so long. It's hot. Like the, uh, I got this, thing don't in vr never give me time to think about what i'm doing like never give me time to sit there and think about what i look like, like yeah that's like <laughs> you know or how bad my head is sweating right exactly and and like there's points that's what have, playstation vr does to me man it makes me sweat like crazy yeah, it's very warm in there and it just gets kind of uncomfortable and i get tired and there's no i mean you, they say you can play this sitting down but i don't know how you do that and kind of not ruin the illusion yeah. so i do play it sandy and after a while like about a, I my my limit on this was about two hours. That's um, not bad, actually. And it, I got through about two, two. It takes about an hour for a chapter, I would say, and a lot of that, unfortunately, is like I probably see about ten minutes. Of that is load time. Wow. Um, but like wow, ten percent chapter. That's more than ten percent. That's like twenty percent. But like, uh, it's maybe it's more like seven. But it's it's, it's a it's a chunk, Great. and I feel it feels like I haven't done much because I mean I'm the fact you even had to quantify it yeah. just shows you how bad it is. Holy so, cow. So it is pretty substantial. It's 12 chapters plus the How prologue. How long is it? I'd say it's 12 chapters plus the prologue. You so said I'd an say, hour each one. So I'd say it's about 12 hours long. Wow. Um, that's, that's maybe the longest VR game I've ever heard of. It's up there. And, yeah. uh, you know, so you're doing so. And it does feel good when you're in there playing. And to their credit, the, the ch- once you're in the chapter, it does last a while. Like, it's not like you're going in for a five minute gameplay session and then, and then wait, wait a minute and a half yeah. for the, the loadout. It does like the, the chapters do take a while. You fly all over the place. You do a bunch of different things, um, and the combat's fun. Like locking onto stuff and firing things off is cool. Like and eventually, you kind of get into this rhythm of like you got to fly, but you also got to shoot. So like you like you and you learn to sort of like you ta- double tap the the triggers, you boost. So like you kind of get to learn like oh, if you're just trying to fly normally, you're probably going to get hit by stuff. So you got to like boost out of the way and then hold your hand out and shoot them with the repulsors. And after a while, like once you get all that down, you're like. Yeah, I'm fucking Iron Man. Yeah, like, it's great. <laughs> it sounds um, like it. But I will say that, and like, it looks pretty. It looks okay. Like visually, it looks pretty good. And I will say this: I discovered a trick that I didn't know about. And I wish I'd known about sooner with the settings of the VR device. Where if you go, so I don't know. I'm, probably everybody knew this, but me, I don't know. I but didn't. I, I don't know it. If you go into settings and you go to devices and you pick the PlayStation VR, uh, there be a setting in there for um, eye width. Setting eye eye width. And you go in, and it's like default, like 67 millimeters, I think, or something like that. And um, uh, you go in, and like you're supposed to go up to the PlayStation camera, and it takes it takes a picture of you, 
and then you use like a, a, a crosshairs to point out the exact center of your eyeballs on each camera. And then it's like, yeah. And I'm telling you, like, because I played the first session like that, and then I was I was annoyed about, about how just I've always been annoyed by how kind of blurry a lot of the PlayStation VR stuff is. Yeah, I just started a like, problem. Like maybe there's something I can do to like make it like sharper, or, like turn off blur or do something. I don't know. And I found this thing, and I did. I swear to God, it's like twice as sharp as wow. it was when I played it before. It changed. It only was like two millimeters difference on my, my when I set my eye thing. But I swear it made every, all of a sudden I could see all the details around in Tony's lab. Wow! It made a, it made a big tip. difference. So if you if you if you haven't done that and you play play as PlayStation VR, and I also played the um, replayed the Battlefront Rogue One VR X Wing mission, and it looked way better than I remembered it looking because so apparently that's a big deal and they should probably freaking tell you about it <laughs> when you first plug the PSVR in. But here we go. Um, so, so basically, I guess what I'm saying is like, I like the game when I play it, but it feels very disjointed and chore-like because of how often the load times just interrupt everything and make me think about other things I could, could and or should And the setup, having to stand up while the you setup, play it. All that stuff. It's yeah, a it's, thing. It's not I, a casual game that you just sit down and play. No, it's just, it's just that thing where it's like, when, when this tech gets to the point that you can just pick the headset off the table and just go, boom, here we go, it'll be great. But until Quest. then... It's really, really hard to kind of like really fully get into it. Even in the way that I did with like vibe stuff, like vibe stuff I felt was easier also because um, with the vibe, I can position because the room scale thing works the way it does. I can position the, the cords from the headset behind me so I can face like with my back to the PC basically. Mm -hmm. And with the PSVR, because the PlayStation's over here and the camera's facing me like this, the cord has to be sort of coming under my arm or right. over my shoulder to get back to the entertainment center. Yeah. And it's much more in the way. Um, so that's a downside too. Uh, I will you say, say it's 40 bucks or 50 bucks? 40 bucks. 40 bucks. I want to say it's 40 bucks. That's a pretty good deal. It's not, I mean, if, if you can put up with the load times and the kind of the, the, the foibles of the PSVR, uh, it is a good time. And it is a, I mean, here's, and also here's the thing. I would have just I just play this as a normal Iron Man game. If you want to just make like a nice open world play as Iron Man and shoot stuff game, I'd like to play that probably more than I like to play this. Uh, but I will say this: uh, assuming PSV, PSVR works properly with PS5, and it seems like it will. It seems like you can use it for that. Yes. Who knows what will be what functionality will be there at launch? But whatever. Um, I would be interested to try playing this again on PS5 if it cuts the load times down the way it does with like the Spider-Man game. And you played on pro just yes, to clarify. Is, so people pro. know that the loading times you're speaking of, that's not because no. you have an old, an old launch PlayStation 4. No, you have a pro, pro. Yeah. and, and I mean, multiple times I just would stare at that load, the load uh, arc reactor and just be like, how is this taking this long? Well, you're trapped in the freaking helmet the, the whole time. You can't so, see but, anything. But, I mean, even by the standards of load times today, it's yeah. taking forever. And I'm Crazy. just like, in the year of our Lord 2020, people, yeah. I, I don't get it. Um, especially for like, I mean, it's, I know that VR, you're rendering things twice, but it's not that, doesn't seem that common. Other, other games don't seem to take that long to load in PSVR. So I don't know what's happening there. Um, but I will say it runs pretty smooth. Um, at least very on the important for it VR game. Runs pretty smooth. Like I, uh, the targeting's good. I never like lost things from choppiness or anything. Like it's uh, you know once you're playing it, it's real good. Uh, but like all the stuff in between, everything in between is a, is a chore. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even like, little things like you know upgrading the suit. You point at the thing and it opens everything up and you get to see all this stuff and you know yeah. there's tons of different. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah you have to spin the globe and pick your next mission on this giant 
globe of earth and like uh-huh. the the you know the enemy encyclopedia like you go to this table and there's pictures of them you reach into the table and pick the the thing out of the photograph and like hold it up as like a 3d model and it shows it's like tells you about it and so like there's a lot of cool little gimmicks in there in the kind of the between mission like home base stuff but like not actual, for five minutes of uh, yeah. total load time. It's, just, it's like, you just got to get on with it. Yeah. Um, so with, this is probably the penultimate feather in PlayStation VR's cap. Do you recommend that the two million people who own PlayStation VR pick this up? I mean, if you desperately want to use the thing again, if you haven't already put it in a box somewhere, sure. The next um, week or so is pretty slow for game releases too, so that might be worth considering until. Yeah, I mean, again, I think I think you get the from my description sort of the 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 downsides, and if yeah. you're willing to put up with that for VR, if you're more of a more patient about the the downsides of VR than I am, and you can put up with the load times. Sure. The other thing I'd say is like if if you if you hate load times in VR and you're and I understand that I'm right there with you. Um, I do think this might be worth revisiting on the PS5. Um, if they can cut, if they, cause I assume that this will be supported by the PS5 in terms of like optimization because they did just put it out. Uh, you know, clearly it's part of the, the deal where they have to run on PS5 after July or whatever. Um, and I would imagine because this is a PlayStation VR exclusive or PlayStation exclusive, they might remember that, Hey, we should probably make this run well. And then, so if they can do this, a similar thing and cut the load, even cut the load times by half, not even eliminate them. Yeah. Like it would be a totally different experience for me. I mean, it may eliminate them with the SSD. It might so. like, yeah. You know, <laughs> the only fun. question becomes, are you willing to don- to donate that much SSD space to Iron Man <laughs> VR? Um, yeah. Good point. But I, w- I mean, I do enjoy the moment to moment stuff and I would be willing to play it, try it again. Cause I don't know if I'm going to get all the way through it. It is a lot. How far are you, are you right now? I'm at the beginning of chapter five. So okay. I'm like closing in on halfway, mm-hmm. presumably. Yep. Um, but the story's not really pulling me through in the load times. And it's Someone just, was asking that in chat, actually, is does the story pull you through the game? Not really. I mean, it's so predictable in terms of like who's behind it and what's going on that you're just sort of like, like at this point, I'm kind of insulted that the game doesn't seem to think I figured it out, and I'm like, "Come on, bro!" Like, so because it, clearly they're gonna they're building to a big reveal near the end because of some of the things that are in place for it. And they're like, "Okay, well, you set some some of these things up so that you can't break that before the end of the game because of how like the the, the flow works." So yeah. I know this is supposed to end up like the, the, it's going to end up being like the big oh my god this and I'm going to be like yeah I knew that in chapter two. Dude. <laughs> well, Matt, know. let me ask you out of curiosity because I know you're a big a comic book Marvel. You you know everything about uh, those kinds of things. Is it because you already know about the comics and stuff, or is the story no. just that blatantly? No, this obvious? is a new story. This okay. is a brand new story. Okay. This is not an adaptation of any story from the comics or anything outside of kind of the usual trope of Tony wants to stop making weapons. Okay. All right. Well, that's Iron Man VR. I'm not going to try it, but you might <laughs> want to. <laughs> you did a good job discussing it, though, Matt. I think you gave a good overview, and I think you managed to touch on the different types of players who might be into it, which is really important, especially mm-hmm. with a, a niche thing like VR. So good job, brother. Um, it's time to go to our Q&A. Um, and as you guys know, go, and some people are already on it. As soon as you hear the tone of my voice shift, it's there go the questions. Uh, but anyway, this is your chance to get questions into the chat. Go at Sifted Games, and while you're getting those in, we'll listen to a word from our sponsor. Ready to get away from it all without losing all the comforts of home? DeShazer Ryan Realty has a once-in-a-lifetime 200-acre estate for sale in Libby, Montana that gives new meaning to the phrase roughing it. 
This eye-popping main lake house on this sprawling estate has four bedrooms and bathrooms, phone, and internet. There are also separate guest and caretaker houses. It's the first time this property has ever been for sale, so don't let the chance to buy a slice of outdoor heaven pass by. It can be yours for $3.4 million. If you're interested, no matter where you live, contact Doug DeShazer at 406-291-1643 or DeShazerMT at gmail.com. He can also connect you with local realtors who can help you with your specific needs. If you want to see more, head on over to www.snowshoeranchmt.com. That's snowshoeranchmt.com. You know, like after talking all this games, this is really relaxing to watch. It's like therapy. <laughs> I, made, I made that ad. I had a lot of fun. If you listen really closely, there's like birds yep, chirping in the background. Sounds. That's why I was yeah. like, it's so meditating. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, you hear us, hear us yell about video games for three hours and we play a little ASMR and <laughs> then we're going to take some questions. Uh, yes. Anyway, like I said earlier, hit up Doug, man. He's a really good dude and he will take care of you. Let's get to some questions. Uh, there, there were a bunch that were in here that were pretty good before we even asked for them. I want to make sure that I get to those if I can. Um, here's one from a bunch of jerks. Another great username. Any thoughts on the online Evo cancellation and other allegations against numerous pro players in the competitive Smash Brothers scene? I knew this was coming. Mm. I probably should have rolled this into our other discussion, but I did not. Um, I, I think really, I, I just didn't want this whole episode to be glued to. <laughs> I got to a certain point and I was like, we can't talk about bad stuff the whole damn time. But yeah, again, just awful Mm. Awful, awful stories coming out of Evo. Evo's been canceled. The world's biggest fighting tournament canceled um, because the CEO was a total scumbag. Um, he has been replaced, by the way. He was replaced immediately um, by someone who I believe should be should probably do a pretty good job. Um, but Matt, what's your take on this? You've been pretty close to Evo through the years. Mm -hmm. Does this surprise you all that much? Because I'll admit that it doesn't surprise me that much, sadly. Not at all. Yeah. In fact, this is one of the this is one of the things that like the when the Smash world sort of collided with the fighting game community, this is one of the things the fighting game community was worried about. Um, it's a much younger audience. It's a much younger audience. It's a different world. It doesn't come out of the arcades like the rest of the fighting game world does. It was just it was just oil and water yeah. to a large degree. Um, now you're really seeing it. <laughs> now you're, yeah, you now you're really seeing it. It's just, just the sheer amount it's of so people bad, being outed is is just amazing. Like the crazy part about it too is that like a lot of them are females. Like when you hear stories about this, you always assume it's a male. Mm -hmm. Several were female players who were preying on younger players. Pred predators come in all shapes. Yeah, I mean it doesn't matter, but typically it does seem to be that it's usually dudes. Yeah. But not in this case. It was an equal opportunity offense, man. It's. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, obviously Evo Online is gone. Um, Capcom and NetherRealm and other companies pulled pulled way the fuck out. Will they ever get um, any sponsors back? Who's going to be the first sponsor to be like, well, yeah, I sponsored Evo after a bunch of kids. Well, were here's, like, well like, here's the thing. I mean, my solution to this, and no one, maybe nobody wants to hear it or they won't do it. I don't know. But they did get rid, they got rid of uh, Mr. Wizard, who was the, the co-founder, who was, who was, you know. Creepy. The, Obviously, yeah, um, <laughs> allegedly, I guess, but yeah. like it, it was kind of it seems to be a, become, been kind of an open secret in the Smash community. 
um, and along with a lot of these other things. Yeah. Um, so my my suggestion I means not like the fighting game side of things is squeaky clean either. Let's you know let's yeah. be honest, There's a lot of yeah, problems of over not. there. Not yeah. to this degree, as far as I can recall. So my if you're going to assuming next year we can have in person events again, which is a is an assumption still. Um, let's say that next by next July, please we can have we can have in person fighting game tournaments again. Uh, you're going to do Evo again. I would say. Um, no Does more. Does it happen next year? Next year, I would try. I would try to. If, I, if you don't get it resurrected next year, I think Evo's gone forever. It's um, so dicey. You bring. Well, it I always feel like you wait a year, though. No, that is a year. Could no, you, I mean you. You let a year happen. Go without no. it. We are going to let a year happen without it. Um, could and I you think rename gonna be, it? Like, no. Could a rename, rebrand, no. change it? No, they could, because, but it well, because, no because, would because, then. No, because Evo is Evo, and here's yeah, the I mean, other there thing. there are fighting tournaments all over the world. That like, there's nothing inherent about. about the Evo brand that that causes this or endorses this. It didn't, you know, it, it's not like this came out because it was happening at Evo as Evo happened. Um, and obviously, there were things that happened during previous Evos, but like, um, I think what you can do is first off, no more Smash Brothers at Evo. Yeah. Like that's the end of it. Like, like, like. They don't want to do that though because it's one of the most viewed. It is one of the most viewed, but it's also apparently one of the most other things. So, yeah. Yeah. no more Smash Brothers. I agree. Get that shit out. Get that yeah. whole community look, removed from the first brand. First of all, look, there's a lot of blame to go around here. Uh, the the kids' parents who are allowing these kids to go to Las Freaking Vegas and just go hang out with some random dudes at a fighting game tournament. That's not a good idea, man. Like, it's, you I should mean, be there as a chaperone in Las Vegas with your pre-team. Yeah, that's, that's not how I would have done it. But uh, but it, it, it also veers a little, you know, also, like, uh, these people should not have been doing that to pre-teens exactly. in oh, the first place. Like, also, yeah. Absolutely, obviously. I, like, I totally get that, but... And of course, that's that's kind of the thing about uh, you know, abusers and, and predators in that regard is they are going to work very hard to make it seem like these kids are safe with them because yep. otherwise, no, that's you're right. Opportunities. That's what they do. Um, it's called grooming, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I would say, like, basically removing, maybe not forever. Like, there might be other ways to to integrate Smash back into that, but right now, that's toxic. You get that Agreed. out of there. You say, like, hey, Capcom, another realm. Can you come? You come back. We don't have those people here anymore. Our CEO has been replaced. And of course, it's been, you know, replaced by Tony Cannon, one of the Cannon brothers, who was also one of the co-founders. You know, they're they're on the up and up. And um, hopefully, you can kind of like say, yeah, you have it be like kind of a comeback and and sort of do your best to cut that side of things out. It would be I mean, sponsor is going to be tough. Sponsor would be going to be tough, but also look, man, Evo existed for a very long time with no Smash Brothers in it. It also existed so. for a very long time being anonymous with very few sponsors. So. They yeah, but that's true to, of everything. Right, but they well, may but have the, to just kind of go back to well, the that big, grassroots thing. But the sponsors aren't nearly as important as getting Capcom back online, getting getting Nether, you know, because the I mean, there's, they're also the sponsors. There's right, but the problem with Capcom pulling out is you can't use Street Fighter anymore. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's much more yeah. important to get the game companies allowing you to lose their games rather than getting like Mad Madcast doesn't exist anymore. But like, yeah. getting the getting controller companies. I know what you mean. Or whatever, yeah. but like. Um, you got, you know, maybe Red Bull won't be back next year or whoever is their energy drink monster. I don't know. I don't remember who was the, I mean, their best that. bet, honestly, is to get some of the Japanese publishers back. Let's yeah. just be honest. Their culture is a little different there and they look at things a little bit differently. And if they're going to get a sponsor back, it's probably going to be a Japanese sponsor first. I think Capcom will come. I mean, you know, they, they, these guys, you know, the Cannon brothers have a lot of, you know, Tony Cannon has plenty of good relationships with Capcom. You know, they've been working with them forever. 
And if they can, if they can show, and this would be an internal thing, this would not be something you you just do publicly. It'd be something you'd have to show them in, you know, in meetings and whatever that you have addressed this problem and you have a way to guarantee that this is not going to be a thing going forward. And again, I think the easiest way to do that is just to tell them like smash brothers will not be there again. Yep. Um, And that's not very fair to the smash fans who didn't do anything wrong. Um, you know, the, the, it sucks that you'd have to remove Smash Brothers from the, what what was the you know maybe will be again. I don't know the most pre- prestigious fighting game tournament in the world. Um, it still is, but uh, even if it never happens again, there's no yeah, there's no replacement yet. Yeah, um, something may rise to replace it, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, uh, it sucks that everyone has to be punished for that. But like that's the nature. Well, of the maybe beast. everyone needed to get their house in order. Let's yeah. be honest. There yeah. needed, there probably needed to be better protocols to keep the underage kids away from the adults and yeah. blah, blah, blah. So and my, yeah, sometimes I, you got to learn lessons the hard way. And my other thing is like, um, what's Nintendo's response to this? Like <laughs> I, I, I don't haven't, I haven't if, I, if Nintendo made a statement about any of this, I have not seen it. It but did fact, make a statement. Did they? Yeah. They t- it took a few days before it did, but it did make a statement. It condemned it, blah, blah, mm-hmm, blah. But yeah. They can go into much more detail about it, though. But I think again, can, of course. I think <laughs> you can do Nintendo it. wants to talk about. I think you can do it. You just have to quarantine the, the the community that brought that into the scene, and you sort of try to go back to basics with it as best you can. Maybe you can't do it in Mandalay Bay this time. You know, maybe you maybe, like you said, maybe you scale it back to like what it was in like 2008, 2009, and see how it goes. Yep. Uh, Damboy90, thank you for Twitch Prime. Sorry if I missed some of you guys earlier in the episode. I'm sure you, I did. Croak, thank you. Scientike, thank you for the emotes. Eric Scott, thank you for Twitch Prime. All you guys are freaking awesome. Uh, we'll answer a couple more here before we go. Uh, from Commander Fett 03, what do you think Lucasfilm will do with the Star Wars license once its contract with EA is up in the next couple years? I think uh, they'll re-sign I think I think they're going. Well, I think it depends how EA's trajectory on this goes over the next year or two. Let's see. Um, I think the trajectory is starting to point up. It is, but we'll see how they do. Um, I think they may not. I think they might keep relations with EA for certain franchises, but I think, and I've heard rumblings that they are like organizing to to do this internally that um, they will not have an exclusive contract with anyone. No way. Will. So they're going to a la carte their IP? My guess, my guess would be that they would, be, you know, not that they'd cut EA out of it. Like EA would, you know, they, EA they still make makes Fallen Order. Or something. Well, they yeah. still make Fallen Order, or they'd still make mm-hmm. Squadrons, if that's popular. Or Battlefront, no Battlefront, Battlefront, Battlefront. etc. But I think um, they would kind of choose what projects they want to do or take pitches from other developers or other publishers and say, you know, like, like LucasArts used to do, like they would just go, if they didn't do it internally, they would go find a developer that they thought was appropriate for it. And like, like with pandemic making the original battlefront and stuff like that, I think that will be the model they go, they go to, because I think even if EA does turn it around and it looks like they are sort of turning it around here, I think that this exclusive contract has shown that putting all your eggs in one publisher basket for this license is a mistake. I think for any, just in general, in life in general, putting your eggs in one basket is almost never a good idea. Anything you think of, putting all your eggs in one basket is almost always a mistake. But just we got, stay away we from got, it. But we got three years before that happens. So That's true. We'll see what Plenty happens. Plenty of time. We'll EA's got some time to, to put out some real winners here. Uh, last question from Sin- Cinetic, Scientica. I can never get right. Uh, regarding games, what is it? Cinetic. 
Synetic. Boy, yeah. I had it really wrong. <laughs> yeah, he's Synetic. like it's he's like it's can it's uh well, if I remember the origin. Can't remember the origin. It's European of uh somewhere. Okay. And he's synetic. Like, I'll like, try to remember that for next week. It's like kinetic, but synetic. Okay. Uh regarding games going to seventy dollars and the conversation about games being too long, do you think there's an opportunity for developers or publishers to introduce AAA or close to AAA games that are shorter, like twelve to fifteen hours, but also not the full seventy dollars? I think it brings this up because Sean Layden made that comment about wanting games to be back to 12 hours. He's like, I'll take a AAA game back to 12 hour experience. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. I think the only thing closest that we've had an example of this would be Hellblade send you a sacrifice. That's a, I think that or a, a plague tale. Yeah. Sort of too, in the same boat. Which both did really well. I mean, I'd be open to it. He actually mentions both those games in his question. I just didn't read the mm. rest of it. <laughs> That's <Okay>. crazy. <laughs> I just, I'm like, they get the gist. Um, Pricing games based on length, I don't know if that's something we're ever going to yeah, see. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be a thing. I, I, if I recall correctly, Playtale Play was priced lower than 60, it was if I remember 40. correctly. Yeah. It was 40. Yeah. It's not out of the question, but like... Um, I don't know. I like Layton's comments about taking games back to twelve hours is like. I mean, that's cute, sure, but like, you're gonna the, the, people are gonna balk at that if there's no replay value. I think, um, or if it's not like a Game Pass thing. Uh, I think if you're charging, especially if you're gonna hike up to seventy bucks, if that thing's not doing thirty, thirty-five hours, like you're you're questionable. Yeah. I, the one and thing I, 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 do, I include multiplayer on in that. Like, it's like okay, like Halo's campaign is what ten hours long, but multiplayer theoretically lasts forever. Sure, like, yeah, great. But one if you're gonna if like you're gonna make like a fallen order, it better be substantial. Yeah. One thing I do like about the price hike is that it makes shows like Game Face more important because mm. it's you have to make tougher decisions with your money. You know, it's not sixty bucks now; it's seventy. That's an extra ten bucks. So. Um, it helps us out as far as people wanting to get information before they plunk their money down. That's just going to become all the more important when the price goes up. Okay, that's it for Game Phase 219. Before I go, Justin Horman, thank you for your Twitch Prime subscription. I missed you earlier. Uh, I want to make sure I mention that because you're a great patron. Sorry to anyone whose questions we didn't get to. I do see a bunch down there at the bottom. Uh, the Ash 84 thank you for Twitch Prime. That's freaking amazing. Um, as I said, I'm Shane Satterfield. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dinfire. You can find Matt at M. Kyle. And you can find Mitch at... Mitch Sikor, S-I-K-O-R. And if you want to find Sifted on Twitter, and honestly, I hate to say it, but it's probably, for most of you, the most important account to follow, especially those of you who aren't patrons or subscribers. If you want to know when all our stuff is going up on YouTube so you can watch it without having to pay, you got to follow us on Twitter. We announce all that stuff there the exact minute that it goes up. Uh, if you're listening to the show out in internet land on any of the five or six services that Game Face is on, and you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could help us out with a couple bucks a month at our Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash sifted. And we appreciate every dollar. So with that, on behalf of Matt and Mitch, I'm Shane. We'll see you next Tuesday. Game Face is up and out. <laughs>